don't say I didn't warn you. La 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 la. Alright, greetings, ladies and gentle monsters. I am your very special host, Immortal Brendel. And today, uh, we have a pretty interesting podcast. Today's discussion is about concepts in survival horrors, in the survival horror genre. Um, joined today with my very uh, interesting panel is um, Start From Top, Baron. I'm gonna call you that. Can you introduce yourself? Um, yeah, it's me, Baron. Um, your favorite Mexican player, I think. I hope. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bio Devil Doom, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm running on like three and a half hours worth of sleep. And I just got back home from work not too long ago, so I'm tired of shit. Nice. Living a dream. Uh, Black Shadow, introduce yourself. Yeah, Ariel, Black Shadow here. Uh, I'm ready for another podcast. At the time recording, I think it is 26 days, I think, until RA Village comes out. And if the quality of memes anything to go by, it should be the best game made ever by anyone for all of eternity. Yeah. And so I hope yeah. so. Yeah, it's definitely the game looking kind of sharp, and plus those memes should never die. Thank Lady Dimitrescu for everything, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> anything. And her daughters. Do not forget her goddaughters. This is true, immediately, yes. The thirst is real. Yes. Innuendos, everyone. Hooray. Yeah. All right, um, Lily Greywolf, introduce yourself. Hello, I've been in for a couple podcasts so far, and uh, looking forward to this one with its interesting setup. All right, uh, Paragon Operative, can you talk? Yes, I can. Hello, and uh, yeah, I'm excited for this podcast. All right, and last but not least, um, more creator, can you speak up? Yeah, um, hello everyone. Um, I'm the CEO of Persephone Studios and Apocalyptic Universe, and nice. I look forward to talking to all of you and maybe learning one or two things. All right, all right. You forgot go. me, you son of a bitch. Oh, oh he lies on the receiving end. Fucking asshole. <laughs> I was wondering too. <laughs> hey, Eli, man, how you doing? Uh, introduce yourself. So it was you right. all along. It does that all the time. That's my, one, that's my one horror reference that I can make. It was me, Eli. I don't want to skip you on purpose. <laughs> to be fair, this is the part of the podcast that either gets cut out for decency purposes or gets left in. Uh, either way, it's a oh, we'll leaving the same. Well, lucky you. <laughs> it's a 50 50 chance. <laughs> that's probably right. good odds. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Eli, intro. Yeah. Hey. I, uh. I'm just here to make some good friends. Oh, uh, you sad individual. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to real number one, uh, puzzles. Like for this concept of survival horror drama, puzzles are usually placed in the um, survival horror games to break up the monotony of running around, gunning, and you name it. All right, players use it. Players are need to test their wits out by just simply doing puzzles. What do you guys think of puzzles in horror games? You mind if I go first on this one? No, I mean, go ahead. Uh, so, so as of late, I've been hearing kind of people talk about puzzles, whether it be in our server or outside of the server. Um, and it's kind of like two 
what I notice is like two different thought processes of it. It's either people really hate puzzles or people really find them interesting and feel like that's part of the identity of a survival horror game. Um, me, I, I kind of think of it as like, well, with survival horror, you're trying to solve a mystery of like what's going on. You're kind of trying to do some like almost like detective work, right? So having like these puzzles to kind of break up the monotony and also just uh, really having things that kind of challenge you in terms of uh, challenge you to like think about how you're going to progress while solving this puzzle and also um, thinking about the context of the puzzle in terms of the lore and what it what it signifies or what it uh, symbolizes within that like particular game. Uh, like Resident Evil has a ton, has a bunch of different puzzles throughout the series, right? Where the puzzles have some sort of reference to something in relation to that particular game, or some sort of like outside reference, whether it be like a biblical or mythological kind of reference, right? Uh, same kind of deal with like the Silent Hill series, right? They all have like some kind of reference to a bigger thing, right? So it. I don't know. I just feel like when it comes to puzzles, it's 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 nice to have. You know, it it makes you really think about um, a lot of different things, and it also kind of challenges you in terms of just trying to sharpen those like sort of detective skills, so to speak, in a survival horror game, right? Yeah, but I agree. Uh, so it doesn't just stem from like those IPs though, uh, real quick. Uh, I use that same like logic and ground point in like series like Devil May Cry, for example. He took up puzzles in the fifth game though, as I always say, like I do miss them because it breaks with the monotony. Uh, plus is also, it's kind of creative how they do the puzzles in those games in contrast to others. So I think it's nice to actually have puzzles every now and then for um, certain games, including yeah, regards I, to genre this. Yeah, I, I do agree. Like, um... I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not heavily against puzzles. I think it's. Um, it's one of those things where, um, like I play Onimusha a lot, right? And Onimusha is known to have like ridiculously, like either easy puzzles or difficult puzzles. One of one puzzle, at least in the first game, is known to basically cause people to rage quit that whole game and never touch it again. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I've always kind of loved that idea of just like there's this thing that could easily like halt all progression or there's this um puzzle that could kill you if you do it wrong so you have to be aware of like you have to have an attention to detail and i've always kind of liked that about uh games like that that include puzzles so i think um they are a little bit they're kind of a bit of a callback to gaming's history in a way if you think about Survival horror is hardly new. It's been around, you know, like 25 years, 30 years, depending on how you want to look at it. And obviously, you go back to that sort of like time. Um, games didn't have the ability to have these vast, sprawling environments you explore and go and do all these sort of things. You know, games only had incredibly limited amounts of space and data and stuff that you could involve in. And that ultimately meant that the worlds you explore are pretty heavy limited I, I did not too long ago uh i was doing streams of the uh the original Lone in the dark from like 1924 or whenever it came out i forget exactly that might have been an exaggeration 
Um, but obviously, no, that's, that's like the time period of the game. I, I think that, I think actually you might be right. Yeah, I, think, I, think I think you got it mixed up. Like that's the time period of the game. Like the first three games are like set in like the late 1920s, early 1930s. I, I honestly don't remember. And... I'll, I'll I'll take it at least I'm half right. Uh, the point I'm trying uh... to make is that the obviously the what you explore is a manor house and some underground tunnels. Now, yeah. in a game nowadays, you would never get away with that. You would be absolutely, completely shafted for it. But obviously, at the time, okay. there's only so much you could do. So, puzzles, mm. along with the small ways, was a way of trying to kind of get more out of the limitations that you had. You know, it was a way to kind of keep people in the same sort of area, you know, manipulating a few objects and kind of fixing them, um, you know, and whatever else, that sort of thing, you know, and kind of extending the time people spent on a game where you couldn't just explore, you know, like, a hundred towns. You had one at most, if you could explore half of that, so. Right. I, and I think, like, just in that regard, too, because um, we're talking about, like, limitations, right? It, it's it's a good way, at least in the, at least with those older uh, games, um, it was a good way to kind of mask, uh, like, the overall, like, playtime of the game. Because, like, if you didn't, like, let's take uh, Alone in the Dark or even the original Resident Evil, right? If you, like, removed any of the puzzles or all of the puzzles in those games, like, those games would be significantly shorter. Like, you'd probably be able to beat, like, the original Resident Evil in, like, half an hour, maybe an hour at best, right? If you didn't know theory, what to do. Yeah, it, 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 it's a lifeline so, of the game. <laughs> granted, you can, you can actually do that with the puzzles in the game. It's just that um, it's one of those things where it's, like, if you completely got rid of those, then it kind of, you know, at least in the case of the original Resident Evil, right? It kind of defeats the purpose of the game. Hmm. You know, like you're you're supposed to kind of go through this mansion, not really knowing what's going on, not really understanding the the issue. Well, not issues, but the dangers that lie ahead, and you're trying to solve what's going on and investigate all these little things that kind of lead to the overall. <laughs> narrative so yeah but what it's done is by being a heavy part of these games when the genre sort of started developing it, it ended up becoming a staple and what's ended up happening is as you've then gone through your time periods into your silent hills into you know this horror game that horror game is that they've kind of been very reluctant developers to take them out because it's kind of it's part of what makes survival horror survival horror and now the issue you've got is now you've got much more modern games now have to try and incorporate that same sort of puzzle style um, into these games where you don't necessarily have to be doing it for limitations. Um, now, some games do this really well. I still argue, I think, like, you know, Resident Evil Remake 2, I think, did it exceptionally well. You know, the puzzles are there or thereabouts. They're usually kind of contextual, but it's nothing too crazy intensive. It's something sort of that you can do, and they're kind of cute. Um, but it's not something that I think everyone gets right at all. And it's difficult to find a balance now, you know, between exploration and, and puzzle solving. You know, you need that element to kind of, you know, there's a degree of investment, but obviously you can't overdo it because you're not there to solve a puzzle game. Ultimately, you're there for a horror game that you're trying to survive. So it's, it's it this very kind of weird balance that developers have to find now from what was a necessity if you go back 20 years. Yeah, that's a good example for using Resident Evil 2 uh, remake. Like the whole environment itself technically is one giant puzzle once you know you get the hang of things. Yeah, I end, I end up loving the puzzle story too. Mm-hmm. One you thing can... 
the, oh, sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> but I was just saying that um, it definitely adds to the atmosphere for and just the setting for a lot of different games. Because as you're going through, like, to really think, like, as, like, an example in, like, Resident Evil, like, when they have, like, the Spencer Mansion and you're going through and it's, like, it adds, like, a layer to, like, how twisted was this person to, like, you know, build their mansion in this, like, way with all these gimmicks. But Spencer! <laughs> definitely, where it's just, like, so not only did he you know create a whole bunch of like other like creepy nonsense but even down to the very detail of like the place where he lived and did a lot of the research he would mess with people and sometimes that like adds a lot to just like the survival horror atmosphere of just how messed up is this person like what are they doing it goes back to like the idea of like serial killers that would do stuff like that where there's like the big haunted like hotels or something where there would be rooms where you'd open a door into a brick wall or something or the stairs wouldn't go anywhere trap doors things like that that are just like inherently creepy <laughs> like, just, yeah. i imagine that like the guy needs to go to the bathroom he like tries opening the door he's like oh damn i need the red jewel for this what is a red jewel oh right i left it like at the top of the shelf in the book hidden behind like oh damn it yeah exactly where it's just like what what sort of like purpose some of that stuff had and like what it adds to the atmosphere the more you think on it yeah that's yeah. actually what was what, what i was gonna say uh quickly uh one thing that i love about the puzzles in some games now that i've recently been playing through all of the resident evil games is that like some people maybe they complain about puzzles saying that like they seem out of place or things like that but I think that the Resident Evil puzzles, at least most of the ones that I remember, they do actually look like they could be in a place like that. And they seem not only relevant in the context of the game, but also in terms of the either mythology of the game, the lore of the, lore of the game, and stuff like that. And I think that's something that actually makes the puzzle feel more genuine because you really feel like you're learning something with that sorry yeah and that definitely like adds like to the setting in certain games where they just they have something where it's either just a key code or a series of keys even if it's a really weird key that you have to assemble several pieces to you know get through somewhere which they've done in like resident evil and a bunch of other games but to some extent there's also just you know, that story quality of, oh, well, it was like, you know, this big doofy like thing that would fit into the mechanism, but, oh, it's broken. And that's why there are multiple pieces or, you know, we would have different people carry the key cards or something like that, that makes it a lot more realistic, but still like makes you go through motions to collect the pieces to, you know, get through a point. <laughs> that's a cat. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, just to... there you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just to kind of finish this, yeah, uh, because I think, uh, yeah, we're taking too long. Um, yeah, I think the I agree with uh, everything uh, that you all said. Um, I think a great puzzle makes it uh, a great puzzle should be, you know, like not too easy, not too difficult, um, and that's also relevant to the story too. 
as someone said by David, I think. Um, for example, if you were making a, a game about, a, I don't know, a de detective, you know. So it, it makes a lot of sense to make a puzzle there. But uh, I also feel that it sometimes it's not necessary to, if, if it doesn't add anything to, to the game. Otherwise, it could be seen, you know, just like to add more time, more game time to it. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, anything else to add on this one, guys? Renegade? No, not really. I think we should move on. Yeah. Should move on? No, Renegade, you're the guest of honors, man. Um, read off um, whatever you want. Uh, let me see if I can find an interesting one. There's plenty. I yeah, will, it. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, just because I wrote it, it's still a lot to look through. Um, I would say number 11, a stalker and the unkillable enemy. So there are points where a relentless pursuer will chase the player through a level. These are special enemies capable of chasing you from room to room, or they might be unkillable. What do you think about this premise in a horror game? Can I add something to that point, actually? Since I, well, mostly because I recently played also the Resident Evil 2 entry remix. Sure. Sure. Can I just say how much I love the Mr. X mechanic in uh, the RPD? It's amazing how you feel really chased when the guy, like, you're walking down the aisle and something, and then you just hear, like, boom. You're like, oh, shit, he's on the hall. And then you start hearing the music, you, you start hearing the footsteps. I love that mechanic. And I think that Resident Evil 2 Remake really did it amazingly. Because, well, while I was playing, I never knew when Mr. X was going to appear. But when I played Resident Evil 3, I think Nemesis like had specific points uh, marked for his appearances. So I, I think it was a lot different. And I think that a lot of games, even though they do the stalker and unkillable chaser uh, mechanic, some don't do it as well as uh, Resident Evil 2 did it. I don't know if the original uh, Resident Evil 2 did it as good as the remake, but I think it's really important that some games that are going to do the unkillable stalker uh, mechanic, they need to do it really well. Like, you need to at least have a way to stun the, the stalker, all right, hide, and then you have, like, I don't know, two minutes to start doing uh, the whole other stuff. And then he starts chasing you again. You're like, all right, I need to really make a route for where I need to go, need to do the stuff that I need to do, and continue with my game. Because some other games are just like, oh, the guy is chasing you all the time. No matter where you go, yeah, no matter where you go, he's just chasing you all the time. And that just feels like he's going to kill me anyway. Any, anyway, anywhere. Yeah, it's... So, um, uh, can, can I make a it, quick point about yeah, that really quick? Sure, okay. So, um, so like, you know, I, I like, uh, the Resident Evil 3 remake, but the one thing I will, will agree with on people is that like the way that Nemesis was handled, the original, uh, RE3 was just so much better because Nemesis could come up at any particular point and, uh, start wreaking havoc on the player. But as a way to counterbalance that you could, as the player, like, <laughs> fight on nemesis and take him down for a temporary amount of time that gave you some breathing room as to what you could do otherwise you're going to be chased up until whenever the next scripted event is going to be um i 
I'm not necessarily against uh, unkillable uh, pursuers, but I think a I think the way that Resident, the original Resident Evil Three handled it, that's more of an ideal, uh, an ideal way to approach it. Technically, RE2, the original RE Two did it as well, but not to the extent of the RE Three, um, where if you take down your pursuer, you got rewarded with like ammo or gun parts and things, things of that nature. Um, so I think they're, if they're going to do something like that, it needs to be. Um, at least in my opinion, I would I would like some some way to fight back or some some kind of incentive to be like if you do fight back, you could take them down for a temporary amount of time. And I don't mean like the the shit with like the remakes where you know they they just crouch down for like one to two seconds and then just get back up almost immediately. Um, alternatively, though, you could have like an unkillable pursuer, and I, I really like the way that it was done in the first Evil Within, uh, in Chapter Nine, where Ruvik was in his basically his manner, and he would pop up at random and uh, kind of lead you into hazards. That was from what was advertised for the game, or at least what was talked about from um, PR people from Bethesda. Uh, that's what the entirety of the Evil Within was supposed to be about. Or, or was going to be like uh, but unfortunately at least with the official release that's not the case it's only that one chapter where Rubik tends to pursue you so yeah, yeah I, mean... I, I, I was honestly about to reference that one too it's uh, that one creature that's killable with fire right from the evil within no I'm talking about Rubik oh Rubik I'm not. I'm not talking about any anything else. I'm just talking strictly Ruvik because, okay. um, with Ruvik in chat, it's chapter nine where you go in. You basically go into a version of his house or his his mansion, uh, his mm-hmm. family mansion, um, and you basically go into the parts that uh, that are not sealed off. Um, so you go into parts where like there's like a piano room and you see sort of like these flashbacks kind of indicating what led to the point of the creation of stem um, okay. and so as that's happening ruvik will pop up at random points and you know again he'll kind of lead you into certain hazards whether it be traps within the house or other enemy types uh there are times where he, he himself will actually transform an enemy into himself so that way he could start pursuing you so you might like see um you might see a uh, haunted Narum and then start to engage it and then all of a sudden it turns into Rubik and then you have to run the other way because you know you're it's a one-hit kill so honestly that mission took me like an hour my first time like an hour and a half just to get through that mansion uh, back on point, I want to say that the unkillable enemy is fine. It just depends on the circumstance. I mean, I didn't really have a problem with it in Resident Evil Remake 1, so it just depends on the spacing and if it's done well. If it's like just a guy comes up to you and one hit kills you and you can't do anything, which is what some of the Evil Within 1 bosses did, then it's pretty much kind of bad in a sense. But it was an irritate, wasn't it? Yeah, it just gets 
annoying after a while if it's like that and there's really no place to hide or there's no spacing but if there is and if you can like get around it then i totally don't mind it it's just a parameter of mixing like one hit kills or unkillable at the same time and that's when i think it gets a little bit weird I also i think it kind of depends on the context of the um like the game and setting like for unkillable ones like let's say like the resident evil series for example uh yeah seven that jack baker's unkillable right but that's because of well you no know, the virus he has so that makes him unkillable by normal means so mm -hmm. that makes sense for him to be unkillable then on the flip side you have um the i forgot what that creature is called you know Salazar's right hand oh right hand man uh, oh, yeah, verdugo. verdugo yeah, yeah. verdugo okay. now he is unkillable by normal means but once you freeze him that's when you do damage though so like, i think that's a good example of like say a pursuer type enemy that's killable but also not killable by other contexts i think there's there's two points that need to be taken from this uh, you bring up jack which, which brings up a point point but while he's unkillable and there's plot reasons for doing it, it's never used like excessively against the player. You're not kind of like, um, you're not punished in a way by the fact he's unkillable and that you just like, you know, one of the worst things of fighting someone like that is that you, you spent a ton of resources trying to defeat something only to then find out that you can no longer, you can't actually defeat it. And you're just sitting there with a ton of used resources. You know, what do I do? Do I just reload the game? Not really position uh, you want to be. Well, in a way though, that is kind of punishing the player though, because now that's punishing you based on your knowledge. Like you wouldn't know that he's um not killable, right? Oh, yeah, like in contrast I mean, what I mean, to what I want to try to say, something like Jack, for example, or the Tyrant, or Nemesis, or all those any of those sort of things, is that you never get no return. You know, at the very least, you kind of down them temporarily, and then it becomes always like, okay, so I can spend resources to 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 buy myself done so I can get away, but it's not like there's never a point where you just sink like a hundred rounds into something only to find out that you could have sunk a million into them and nothing would ever have happened. That's what I'm trying to say. Like uh, uh -huh. there's always some sort of you, you're always trying to get something out of them. And I think what's more important, anyways, is kind of it's not so much them when they're in your face. It's kind of the threat of them appearing. You know, I think that's why someone like Nemesis, for example, helped popularize the whole idea so much. It wasn't. It wasn't so much scary when he turned up. It was the fear of him turning up because you didn't know yeah. when it was going to happen. You knew it was coming. You knew you every now win. and again he was going to harass you and you have to deal with it, but you didn't know quite when. And that's what I think was more effective. Now, what the, what the thing with Nemesis though is like, unlike in like say remake, no, in the original you're heavily rewarded for taking him down. So like, if you choose to do it though, you you would be graciously rewarded with something for your time and resources being wasted. In contrast to the original, all are you getting really just a couple of shotgun shells, you no know, rounds, or you no know, maybe a gun part here and there, right? In contrast yeah, I mean, to the original, you get new guns, ammo, and on top of other you no know, goodies. Yeah, but there's definitely value for it, but it's just yeah. I think that any however you want to do it is fine. It's just when you have these where there's like just like uh, something that's just you end up just constantly shooting and shooting and shooting and you get nothing back and you end up with people in positions where they've just tons, tons of resources into something and then realize that they couldn't have done anything anyways and you're just sitting there like, well, what the hell do I do now? And that's very frustrating. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it shows that the, the more notable or memorable examples were never, ever like that. that that's why I brought up the original Nemesis uh, in mm -hmm. particular or even like the original Mr. X because I don't... Um... Granted, I know like for the remakes, they kind of based that off of uh, Jack for RE7. And I, I guess you can make the argument that that works well for Jack. Um, but I don't think it really works well for like Mr. X or Nemesis. I think it 
it was better that you were able to like actually down them for basically a temporary amount of time and see them like basically what bleed you, out for a moment, you know, and like the even jack game. that's still the case. And it kind of goes into the whole idea of you're just trying to just purely survive. So I think in a more contextual idea, I think it works a bit better, but the, the point is taken. Yeah. Well yeah, for for the original Mr. X and Nemesis each, like if you go back and play like on a range mode for the, each of the originals and you just, you know, pump them full of a, a bunch of rounds, they don't just down like temporarily. It's for that whole segment of the game. They don't get back up. So that does make a big difference for especially if you're playing on a range mode and you have all the like infinite ammo guns and you're playing through like it just takes the fear right out of them to just you know be like okay we're done like uh, here he is like, especially in like um, another anime threes. i'm sorry uh real quick especially in three's case because nemesis will follow you to another room unless he's blocked from doing it whereas mr x on the other hand though he's stuck in that one segment of the room like for example the hallway in um, rpd and on um, b scenario once you go in and leave that spot though he doesn't follow you Whereas Nemesis, though, he will go his way to follow you so long as it's like scripted for him to go to that room. I just so wanted to big difference. Yeah, I, ju I just wanted to add on that I really like it when you do down them in one segment and they don't get back up until at least you go grab a key item. That's also like kind of survival horror tropes where enemies really don't spawn or randomize until you pick something up that you actually need to progress to the next area uh so i, I prefer it that way where it's like the tension is kind of off your shoulders until you're ready to go again and you get that key item uh also uh real quick right before we get off this topic i want to talk about pt and i know we've been talking a lot about like someone who's like actively pursuing you but in pt you had lisa who's actively stalking you actually watching the player and that's something i really really love in my games yeah, like the story that you cannot see or someone who's like always watching you no matter what you're doing mm -hmm. yeah we don't get many um stories like that yeah we yeah, don't maybe like alien for example might be another example it's sort of that idea although not quite uh, no, yeah. I'm we have Ray and Fellow Frame. Yeah, like pursuers that um I ain't talking about like no enemies that are stealthy. I'm talking about ones that you legit cannot see like oh, on screen good. at all. Yeah, that's supposed to be MS true. Uh Ruvik, I guess, if you really want to get into it. So technicality, yes, because uh, he's technically not on screen. He just you no know, fucks with an enemy and turns into him and does that's that. Yeah, I was gonna say well, yeah, he, if... well, where sometimes you don't even know that a ghost is there and you like you hear sounds and if you aren't like paying attention, they're like right there and you can't even see them yet. Or sometimes they're just floating around for a while and you can't see them. And you know there is a ghost here because there was a sound and the filaments lit up, but you don't see them yet. And that can add like a lot of tension as well. Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed in Fatal Frame. And as I said in chat, this would be right for an opportunity for something like maybe a Predator survival horror game because that thing can literally cloak. And I, I thought it was so cool fighting that thing in Ghost Recon Wildlands. So I'm not surprised that uh, that idea would be kind of right for the taking if they did something like that. But that's just diverging. So I'm going to move on to the next one. I think we're done with this, oh, right? I had wanted yeah. to mention a couple other games because we spent a lot of time um, on Resident Evil specifically. But one of the games that does this a lot throughout the series is Siren. So they have the unkillable enemies throughout the whole game. And I kind of hated it, <laughs> where you could 
you know, like spend a ton of resources to get them to just stop. But then, you know, 20 seconds later, they're back up on their feet following you. And it's just like, there was nothing you could do. Haunting Ground was another one that I was going to mention too, where throughout, and we have a separate category for games like that in Clock Tower. Oh yeah, Haunting Ground is definitely a good example of Pessoras. Because you get a Pessora like every um, act in a way. And each of them are, are function differently. Mm-hmm, where they're more like bosses, and you can do like temporary things to stop them with some of the like extra items you can like throw at them or obstacles to stop them. And Clock Tower has like a similar way that it will function with things like that. Or take and advantage then, with their characteristics, like with um Daniela, I believe her name was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where yeah. you also have um stuff like Silent Hill does a few of those throughout the series as well where you have pyramid head who recurs even though technically there are certain parts where you kind of get him to go away he still is like an unkillable enemy as well as like the ghosts or walter and four but i i think that it kind of depends on the type of games like yeah like for example uh that you mentioned clock tower like i I dislike or I complain a lot about Clock Tower 3 gameplay and the way that the Stalker formula was made for that game is actually really well done in the case that, well, basically you have like, I don't know, five or six levels in the whole game. Each level has a different Stalker. And once you meet the Stalker, they will be chasing you all the time. You got to run from them. You got to run from them. You can defend from them using like the holy water uh, jug or something or you can hide from them but they can find you if the if your fear level is like way too high and i actually like that mechanic a lot while playing like i i felt that like i was getting really nervous the first time i played it because of that because i was like really being like oh damn what did, what did i do what did i do and it was a, i think that's a good way of doing uh, the stalker formula at least that's what I felt. That's why I also like Remothered for the same kind of reason. All right, so okay, is everyone I'll, done with uh, this one? Yeah, I, I could uh, read off uh, the next one. So I could just pick anyone, right? Yep. Uh, so I'm going to do number five, uh, Run and Hide Simulators. You might find that there are certain survival horror games where the protagonist does not wield a weapon due to the game design. Therefore, you're forced to rely on stealth and running away to survive. Uh, I, in particular, really hate this gimmick, uh, mainly because it's so overdone in the indie scene that had it been had it been like one or two games and it, it was every so often, I wouldn't have minded. But literally, like 90% of indie devs go for this type of survival horror game, and it's so unoriginal. It is one of the it, it is one of the most boring style of uh survival horror games in my opinion um yeah i I agree yeah i I, I agree with you now i understand that you can maybe make the counter argument of well you can look at something like clock tower or haunting ground which also kind of do the same thing where you're essentially running away from your pursuer but at least in both of those um types of games uh clock tower and haunting ground um you're essentially using your environment to defend against anything that's pursuing you. Um, so at least in those games, I, I feel like that's a little bit more forgiving because it's like you have some means of defense. 
Whereas well, like something like um hold on, sorry to cut you off though, but you also gotta realize the context of certain games. Like not all games gonna have that same type of um gimmick as Clock Tower or Underground. Yeah, you can use the environment against them too though, but you can also use the environment to actually throw off your pursuer and get to um get to another point um of the room we need to go. Case in point, I'm gonna use Atlas one as an example, mostly the first game, because this this one does it the best. While it's say Chris Walker, he is your pursuer throughout the main game until the end of the game, right? Um you cannot fight him because he will crush you. No shit, right? But you can use your environment to outsmart him because he's not the most intelligent guy in the world. So either you go to another room where you go slide through a cracks, um, evade him, or hide in locker until he starts checking the area and then yeet out. Now it's just based on the context of the game itself, where um you can use either the environment or what other means. So I can't sit here and say mm-hmm. like you know all are the same, versus you know, versus a lot of them just sharing the same type of um gimmick. Yeah, it's just yeah, context like, with, with like speaking. for like Outlast, for example, right? Like you don't have like say I don't know like a rock or any kind of throwable item to throw off your pursuer, do you? To make them go look at, <laughs> at a different direction while you try to sneak off. No, like you, you don't have anything to really like kind of. You you really only are just doing. Let me just try to yeet this enemy. You're not like trying to like basically block off their path from chasing you or like lead them astray to a different area so that way you can go run off. Isn't it's nothing like that. It's just basically how can I run past this guy without him seeing me or at least run past him to the point where he'll stop chasing me because it's, you know, scripted for him not to chase me past this point. Yeah, and that's that's something that um something like Haunting Ground or Clock Tower does really well where they have points you can hide in and then after a while the enemies will sort of like pick up on your hiding spots and they get you out of them, which is pretty like, like horrifying the first couple of times it happens, but yeah, after a while that does dry up as well. I know like with at least uh Clock Tower three in particular, they added the uh, sanity meter. So like if your character is like freaking the hell out, like hiding isn't really gonna do a whole lot. The sanity meter honestly sucked a lot, but uh, we'll get on that other topic. Mm. Can you, uh, speaking about like hiding uh, from an enemy and just doing that the whole game, is it? Can you imagine like how scary a game will be where the enemy starts learning about like what you do? Like for example, oh right, I'm gonna chase him off, and then I'm gonna hide in this closet. All right, the guy now knows that hey, you disappeared. But what if the AI of the enemy starts learning and saying like, hey, he hid in that closet like five minutes ago. Maybe he's in another closet. I'm going to check here. And the AI of the enemy starts learning and learning and making the game more difficult because it's a stalker that is basically, well, getting better at stalking. I, I know it's not a run and hide simulator, but isn't that something that Alien does? Yeah, alien isolation. Yeah. Yeah. So alien yeah. isolation, because I, I actually played through it on the hardest difficulty. The whole gimmick with that game is that aside from the androids, when the xenomorph is chasing you, you can hide into lockers. Granted, you have means to defend yourself, but like when you're running from the fucking xenomorph, you're you're only equipped with the gun. You don't even have the flamethrower yet. 
you don't get it to like way later in the game so you have to basically hide all the way in the back of the locker and there's like a way to like make the character go back you have to hold your breath which i think the character can also like um like let go after a certain point and start breathing heavily and that's how the xenomorph will know and it'll start inching up and trying to like hear hear you as you're in the locker too um so at least in that game it, it's technically done but maybe not to the extent that some other people might want where it's like oh maybe i should you know where it's a little bit more frequent or a little bit more uh, um smarter i guess i don't know it, it's been done but it hasn't been done like the extent of uh what's being talked about here like in general if we were to say that a game has done like learning patterns where an enemy would follow your every move and if you do something repetitious wise you'll get spotted i think something was like that in batman arkham city where you fight mr freeze and if you do the same thing to him again he'll try to cut you off some way so you can't use that venue anymore i would like to see that in a horror game but right now i can't think of a very distinct one that does what uh, burn is talking about it's i think it's, i, I, I want to throw off what like one, one more point to kind of add on really yeah. quick um i think it'd actually be really cool as if like say if you had a pursuer that decided well i know that this character or this player is basically going to hide in a locker or underneath the bed or something like that right so what if I hid in the next like likely place they're going to hide in to basically throw them off, you know, where, where like you try to hide and you see them and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm here to kill you. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, think, I think like something like that would would be pretty cool. I think, I think it's worth noting how like in the course of the discussion, we've already started bringing up games like Arkham Asylum and that sort of thing, because. I don't think there's actually there isn't that many games that I can think of that really have ever done this concept that well. I think is kind of the problem in the survival horror genre. You know, I yeah. you mentioned you could maybe mention perhaps RE Seven though it's a bit loose. Outlast, fine. Evil Live In maybe I don't know. I think this already goes to show that it's not something that's really worked well. I mean, like, I think of like a run and hide simulator and like a good example of it. I think it's like Dead by Daylight. Now again, we're kind of going outside the context of survival horror games but it can't be denied that it does the concept well. And I think it goes to show that maybe it just, like, it's so strange. Like, in theory, it should work well. It's it's almost like you're playing a movie, you know? You're, you're playing as the, uh, you know, the person who's completely outmatched and has to kind of use your wits to outsmart the uh, the enemy. But it just never seems to work particularly well, I don't think. And uh, whether that's because maybe the AI is just super hard to program in a way where it makes logical sense, you know, only... In something like Dead by Daylight, I think the reason it works is because you're only you're going against someone else who can learn patterns, who can establish things that people do and don't do, and can react accordingly. Whereas something like a for an, to write an AI script is incredibly difficult to do that, and for it to feel kind of like organic, I think this goes to show the problems that this sort of sort of uh, splinter of the genre has. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I think that's. That's the reason why you see a lot of, uh, you know, they run a height simulators in, in the indie game, in the development. Scene. It should definitely also be noted that, yeah, there are absolutely tons of indie games out there. There are going to be some that will get it done pretty well, but unfortunately, the vast majority are either going to be rehashes or just fairly um, not very good implementation. Yeah, yeah like mimicking PT a lot. 
Yeah, that's, uh, a lot of PT, yeah. Allison Rose, stuff like that. It's, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. and that was a because, huge problem. Like, basically, yeah. that happened as soon as PT got canceled. Like, every indie dev and their mother wanted to make their own version of PT because it was an open market. People looked at them for they were just they were just looking and seeing dollar bills. We've mentioned this on previous podcasts. Like everyone right, jumped but, in on it. But then it oversaturated right. everything, and then right, and, and nobody ever thought like, "Hey, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what Silent Hills is going to be to a T." Because even like when Kojima and Productions was talking about that at the time, they were saying like it was going to take elements from all the different Silent Hill games, good and bad. I, so I mean, basically, PT became its own genre. Yeah, so, but yeah, uh, it pretty much did became its own genre for better and for worse. Mm, yep. yeah. But I think this goes, you know, like much back before uh, from games like Amnesia and Penumbra, uh, the hide and um, the run and hide simulator. I think that game is what spawned all the, the indie games that try to copy that because it's something that's it's cheap to do this. You know, you don't have to work so much uh, like uh, for something that you guys were proposing where you had a uh, machine learning AI. Um, so yeah, and because there's not much creati creativity, it's easier to copy something that's already made. Yep, I am in 100% agreement with that one. I think it's mm -hmm. just easy to do. I wouldn't say like, I I'll say that I enjoy Outlast for what it was, but it is one of those things where it's like, well, I wish I had like maybe something to lure or distract enemies or like some kind of weapon to do something. Uh, but yeah, it's cheap to do. You don't have to spend like extra data worrying about people getting shot and reacting to it. I think that's a lot more um, precise with the things you have to do. And yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like it did get oversaturated for a while with the whole PT boom. I just wish that maybe it was a little bit more creativity than just the looping door room that everyone wanted to recreate over and over and over. Uh, I will respect people that at least tried to make their own game from that gameplay style. And that's about it for me. Um, um by the way, Amnesia yep. sucks. Don't at me. <laughs> I have yeah, I mean <laughs> I haven't I played it so I can't either, say either love the run and hide simulators or you hate them. It's kind of Yeah, it's there's there's just not enough strong examples of it for it to become like a really defined, you know, like accepting the thing. Like My... there, there are examples where it's worked and there's plenty of examples in games for it to work within it, but a game truly fully based on that, like there's very few yeah. examples of it succeeding particularly well. But I'm more yeah. down the middle of that because I don't like or hate it though. I just go by a game by game. Like again, I like Atlas a lot, but I don't like Amija. People love Amija. As well, it, but it, certain yeah. oh, just certain games they do it certain things well, but again, like none of them are super strong. Where it's like they just have a lot of weaknesses in the setup. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think yeah. I've I think I've talked about it in past podcasts from like years ago, but like um, just to kind of reiterate that that point, like my particular issue with like these types of like horror games in particular is that like um it basically is there to cater for the lowest common deni de denominator the casuals right they, they'll look at it and be like oh it's it's that scary game that said insert youtube or twitch streamer played right and screamed their out of the like top of their lungs right uh mm -hmm. like set during their streams or whatever 
and my my kind of issue with it is that it's like because of the the trend and how many games we got out of this at least from the indie scene at least um there's a lack of variety uh within the genre and i think like it, it's it's very limiting because when you see some actual uh new and interesting ideas for survival horror it kind of gets drowned out by what most people want to play at least in the casual side of things and it's kind of unfortunate the, the, the misconception with that sort of thing, of course, is you're not necessarily watching it for the game, you're watching it for the reaction. And I think this is, this is a bit of a misconception that uh, people miss um, more often than they realize, you know, and that, you know, I'm not saying it's not a uh, criticism of the game, but it's something that has to be borne in mind in a conversation like this. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a good combination will be uh, this runner heads simulator kind of thing and you combine it with a, uh, some some type of combat system where you can actually fight back. I think that's actually what could work, could work really well. That's actually what we're trying to do with our, our last project. I think even um the guys who made the Medium uh, Bloober team, they said that they're going to make horror games with the concept of fighting back because the Medium did not have it. Uh, so it's interesting to experiment. I would say if people feel creative enough to do a horror game, then if they want to implement more complex systems and they have the ability, then that should be 100% warranted. Yeah, but definitely. I, but I think we should probably move on to the next one if anyone wants to pick one from the raffle. I'll pick one, though. And with this question, I'm going to add in a um, sub-question with it. All right. Um, stamina meters. Um, a bar that causes um, your character to be fatigued after a certain period of time if you drain it, drain it you know? Um, how you guys feel about this mechanic in survival horror genre? Also, um, I'm going to add in, add in something else. Um, how you guys feel about alternative... Um, mechanics that will mess with the players um like say control or anything else for example in clock tower um three i believe um the sanity meter that uh, when the meter goes to i think maximum or near max your character will enter like a panic attack and your control over the character will be um very worsened than usual like um we try to tell her to go straight though she will start going left and right or which I do in action, though she won't do it, and among other things. How do you guys feel about those mechanics in um, survival horror games? As I said um, in chat, I swear that happened in Eternal Darkness as well. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That was that was based on. Um, yeah, I, I think as far as stamina, my idea, it's it's the whole principle of trying to like limit the player and kind of hindering them so they don't feel too powerful within the bounds of what they're trying to do. Um, and also survival horror games. Um, some, not all of them, but some of them try to kind of act almost a bit more realistically than some of the other genres, which of course there's an irony of because the whole concept of what you're doing in half these games makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. But it, it's, it's the whole principle of trying to obviously limit what the player can do. Um, and, you know, so you don't just feel like you're a god amongst men. Um, so it feels... I think it feels like more of a necessity nowadays, um, you know, more than anything else. It feels like if you've got a Savara game, you're going to have stamina of some kind or another almost always. Um, so it's a bit more picky and choosy in the early days, but certainly now, like, it's, it feels like if you've got it, you have to have something. 
because otherwise it feels like there's almost automatic criticism otherwise because it's like you know well, people are natural and it you know and you're like what are you doing as i honestly i do not disagree with that notion i mean sorry i agree with that notion why because let's look at resident evil the player only feels powerful based on the equipment you have in your inventory, not because of me running for five seconds and being tired. Yeah. Now, um, the reason why I don't like the stamina gimmick, though, because one is overdone and a lot of other games outside of genre also utilizes the mechanic. But I feel like if you really want to limit the player or something, though, I feel like other ways of going about it is um, not limit you based on your stamina. Because yeah, anyway. Oh, I- I, was saying, mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't particularly like it either to be brutally honest i i, I don't yeah. think it's aged, it's it's something that you know made perhaps sense 20 years ago 15 years ago but i don't think it's aged at all well and it's yeah, kind of a lot of those, those totally artifacts agree. of the past that have kind of been incorporated into games as we've gone along it was a way of trying to assert some control of the player but i think nowadays it's like unless you're playing like more of a survival simulator sort of style of game i think it's just it's more of just an inconvenience and a hindrance nowadays well, yeah, I, yeah, I was gonna say that it, it in most games that I've seen it, it doesn't even really like slow you down for that much of an amount of time, where it just builds up again so fast, mm-hmm. or it just makes you a little slow for a little while. Well, it does depend on the game noticeable. too. It, it does. I yeah. because yeah. even within like when yes. you run out of stamina, you just dead stop. Like Sebastian takes a breath, and you're stuck in that animation for like literally like a couple of seconds. Yeah, no stamina runs are horrible. Um, when you try to do uh, what was it? Um, classic mode or Kuma mode in um the first game, yeah. we tried doing yeah. upgrades. Mm-hmm. Like it's horrible. Like we're trying to run away, and then you you stuck in dead span, and boom, you're dead. Like it's not uh, a fun experience to do with, deal with. What I never the, understood. The first game uh, did it like really poorly as well, because uh, like the second game they reintroduced the stamina mechanic, but then they added in a feature where you could just keep mashing X when you're about to run out to like refill up to a certain point. Uh, much faster than you no- otherwise normally would if you just let it go on its own. So, and I, I think the issue is as well is that because then as it infringes upon the player, your attention then just starts focusing almost solely on it, and you just like you stop becoming scared to do things, you know. And it's like if I do something, I can only do it for so long, and it kind of takes. I think it takes people out of the experience of being in the game, in the world, and in the moment because you're just worrying about looking at a bar and thinking when's it going to run out. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I think, pretty disastrous to your game design. That's not what yeah. you want people to be doing. Yeah, so, I think, yeah, oh, I think the developers uh, kind of integrate those those mechanics because they think it's going to be more, you know, immersive. Uh, but I think that at the end it could damage a lot. I find it like very similar to the problem with, uh, you know, the flashlight with the batteries. You know, they run out and you're pretty much fucked. So hmm. it's it becomes annoying, I think. I think um, what it essentially boils down to is, um, and I kind of said this in chat as well, is that it it's an attempt to have a lack of control or giving the player a lack of control, which it, to to a degree it makes sense. You know, you're you're playing a horror game. You're not you're not trying to give the the player like tons of ammo and resources and stuff like that. But then there are things where it just kind of doesn't 
makes sense or doesn't really need to be there in terms of just taking away a form of uh, player control. I, I'm like indifferent in terms of a stamina meter, but I don't think that I would, I, I don't think I'd really care if it was gone or not in a survival horror game. Um, however, the, the other point with, um, with the sanity meter, for example, I think like stuff like that could work very well. Uh, but it just needs to be worked on more heavily because we haven't really seen it a whole lot, actually. Yeah, I think that for most games, I would probably ditch the exhaustion meters and and a lot of those things unless it's like more event based. Because sometimes that's like you know a good breakaway of just the like oh my flashlight ran out like at a certain part where being like in the dark or something like that will like add to that part of the game or like a certain enemy that it like clicks with really well but just having it like throughout does really take away from the experience for a lot of games and definitely like with something like the sanity meter a lot of the time it just comes in like intermittently where if it does like totally like have like end up in something where you would have like that like panic and you just either run around until you calm down or you could take I think in uh, in Haunting Ground, they had a couple of the, like, calming, like, items that you could use that could make it stop, but... Yeah, like, I mean, like, I think Haunted like... Ground did better than 3. Yeah, than Clock Tower. I think, but, like, uh... um, in terms of the sanity meter, too, like, kind of just going off of the idea of Eternal Darkness, where the game just starts fucking with you by throwing yeah throwing things around or like doing things that like make you question whether or not it actually happened or start like you know the infamous oh it's gonna delete the whole like game files and off your uh off your memory card right yeah um, that type of thing where i think um they could implement that in a way where maybe you start seeing things maybe you start hearing things in game or certain things just kind of start looking a little different than they normally would. Um, stuff where maybe it's going to get the player to question what's going on in the game rather than just being like um, doing something that might have worked maybe, say, 10, 20 years ago that probably is just going to be seen as like very cheap or very predictable in and, and that was something for like eternal darkness where sometimes it would randomly happen if your meter wasn't even that like depleted mm. so that was something where it, it just seemed random for different levels there was one level in particular where it seemed to happen a lot more and that that level was also one of the levels where they they had an area where you could refill it and you can go back to that area a couple times so I think that that was also just like something that throughout the game just made it different. But in that game, it definitely did have when you were missing like a small chunk. Sometimes you'd wander into a room and the walls would be bleeding a little bit or something. And they definitely had uh, a couple of moments where you'd walk into a room and you would like fully walk into the middle of the room. And then all of a sudden, like your character, like something like either like your arms would start falling off or the character would like <laughs> die like 
in some like really violent way and then you would end up back in the previous room as if you had never gone into that room so it's just like a total like break and sometimes your meter didn't ha even have to be depleted or that far down for it to happen <laughs> so it was kind of interesting but definitely something that if if they had had some different breaks per level or or something that made it like a little bit more random and they like either wouldn't repeat them so like maybe there would be like a list that the game would keep track of like on its own that oh you already got this one like let's not do it again might be like a way that they could kind of take the like okay like how many times am i gonna walk into a room and explode before i uh you know <laughs> get sick of it yeah uh, so these are like, uh, you know, like uh, fast uh, uh, meters, right? Something like that. Um, what about uh, something that's more like, um, more uh, more long? Like, uh, I don't know if you guys played the uh, Resident Evil Outbreak, the game you could actually get infected. Oh, uh, you mean like the uh, the virus and meter? And lots and lots yeah. and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots. In context of that game, though, that is used to stop like to force players to finish your job quickly and get out of the server because at the time though we didn't have like very strong servers at least for capcom so like they wanted you to actually beat the game or just die you know it's to, a time limit. clutter up yeah it's, time limit. it's, it's effective but that is if they bring that back personally though they have to do it right because um we do have items that can like slow down like or stop poison altogether right so like yeah. if they implement like something like that like a um viral sample to like slow down the progress of your um your virus infection like i think that would be neat so long as it's done right i mean in the context of outbreak that's exactly what they did <laughs> yeah so. I, mean, I mean no I'm, I'm talking about like ignoring like the online portion i'm talking about legit like in another resident evil game like a main like say resident evil 9 they bring that back as a full-on mechanic for story context rather than just you know stopping you from playing the game for too long so i know it's done in that game though but i'm just strictly talking about uh, um feature games yeah mm, I, right, I, I i was gonna say i was gonna add on real quick did we talk about um consumables and uh, those having like slowdowns and meters like batteries Cause I like stepped out for a second. Well, consumables. Um, no, I don't think we did. Yeah, that's kind of like also a little bit annoying too. I I don't want to like diverge too long on that. Just uh, I prefer it where it's like Silent Hill. Uh, you have the flashlight for strategy. So if you want to turn the flashlight off and you manage to run around a monster they possibly can't see you at the same time you probably can't see as well so it's kind of like a 50 50 where um you do have these mechanics in play and you can use the flashlight for an unlimited amount of time and it can work in your favor at the same time it will obscure you a little bit and it will obscure the monster as well i think you should have you know, said that for number eight because that's that's number eight <laughs> Uh, what's number eight? Limited. What? Well, I was just talking about like I, I had to sort of side diverge because we're talking about batteries running out, and Silent Hill is just a good example of that. Well, yeah, I'm freaking um Outlast technically does this as well with your camera, mm -hmm. so you need to do, go into night vision to see it in the darkness, right? But um, it depends on the difficulty. 
and uh, how many batteries you can carry and how quickly the battery will drain. Like I mentioned um, on insane difficulty, and I think nightmare as well, you only can have two batteries, two spare batteries, so a total of three, one in your camera and two extra. Once you go to night vision, that battery drains really quickly. So you have to, uh, yeah, by that point though, it's like a game of memorization. You have to know where to go and when to use your night vision. So there will be a, like little obstacles that will block your way. Now, um, I don't know any other game that does that as far as like some little bit batteries. Yeah, that's me neither. That, that's, that's the only one I know is uh, Outlast. Um, plus, I guess we can move on to number eight because it's a lot more with Silent Hill than just like the flashlight. I, There's also the fog. Um, I wait. I think at some point uh, doesn't. Well, I haven't played them in a while, but doesn't Final Frame has like uh, kind of the same thing where if you run out of uh, film, like you are defenseless against the ghost. Yes. Yes, um, once you run a film, you, your, your defense is against the ghost. Uh, but it might be depending on the game. But yeah, certain um, number two, I believe, have like special film where it can um, give you other properties. Or that might have been three. I, my memory should come there, there is Fatal Frame games where you get unlimited filament. I just forget which is the one that gives you that. But I, I do know there is one where it's like you can just use it whenever, but it's super weak. Oh, all right. Uh, but let's move on to uh, number eight. So limited vision. Sometimes things can get a little dark in the environment, which can obscure our vision. Um, you can either pop on circuit breakers or gain a flashlight, which could come in handy. How do you feel about limited vision in video games for horror? Uh, I pretty much don't have a problem with it as long as it's not too dark where I have to adjust my TV settings in order to see something. Oh yeah, if it's like if it's like that dark, that artificially dark, I don't, I don't want that. Cause I would still like to see the floor. Cause God forbid, no, there could be a zombie on the ground. I couldn't see it. It's yeah, it's not something you sure. can like you can base a game purely on. But I think as like mm -hmm. in limited uses in specific areas, like I think you definitely it, it's something you should be using because it's taking people out of their comfort zone. And it's trying to oh. almost like to, you know, to try and set up situations so you can ambush the player. You know, which makes logical sense. Oh, actually, I know so, a perfect game for this. Um, um, Invader Studios that made um, um, Daybreak was Daymare. it? Yeah, Daymare. they made a Resident Evil Two remake themselves, right? Mm. That the demo they showed off though is a perfect example of a game being too dark because even when you um turn your brightness on like YouTube or whatever, it's almost it's almost too hard to see um what's going on. Yeah, so, they uh, I think they addressed the issue to a degree with Daymare. I mean, Daymare is still pretty dark, but for the most part, they they did listen to the feedback of like everybody saying like their their fan RE2 remake was just way too dark. Um, <laughs> I um, I was gonna bring up. I was actually gonna bring up two points. Um, as far as like lighting goes in a survival horror game, um, I would actually like to see a more of a push for RTX in these types of games. Um. Those and, and stealth games, although that's a completely different topic. Um, only because, you know, lighting is so key in a survival horror game. So I think, like, you could really make some well-lit well rooms, but also some very dark and uh, atmospheric rooms as well that would work well with, RT, with an RTX feature. Uh, the second thing, and I'm surprised not many of you have brought this up yet, um, weather. 
we don't see a whole lot of weather in survival horror games. And yeah, we've talked about Silent Hill with fog. Um, but how about like extermination with the snowstorm or how about cold fear where it's constantly raining and it's you're in the middle of a um, sea storm, you know, stuff like that. I think I think that would be a really cool way to like um, to diversify uh in terms of like the well, style a lot of horror games do have weather it's just it's not the like the main focus it's, right? yeah it's not the primary focus so they don't really so like, that would be a nice change of pace yeah, yeah so I, like... I guess it depends like for like if you were like we're in the middle of like a wildfire that would be more unique but i think a lot of games have like rain and thunder where it's like the a lot of, of games storm. yeah a lot of games game. rely on like rain but yeah. a lot of the time that rain just ends up going away after after a few hours or maybe mm-hmm. like just an hour right um whereas like you know i brought up cold fear and like even ren is talking about yeah. it where like you know you're in the middle of a sea storm so like you're you're on a ship and it's constantly swaying with like all these waves crashing onto the ship and everything and it's very poor and low visibility uh so i think that would be a really interesting way to like you know change things up same thing with like you know i brought up extermination extermination you're in the middle of a blizzard in in like i think it's in the antarctic yeah so i think i think a lot of can't... different games use cold weather as well where you're like stuck in the woods or like yeah. veronica goes into the antarctic specifically again or something like a strange journey if you count that one i think um also well originally wasn't re5 going to use the elements of sunlight against the player yeah yeah but you know what you know what like imagine if we had a survival horror game set in like some kind of desert environment where you could just have like a random sandstorm occur maybe maybe the sandstorm is like yeah yeah or like maybe the sandstorm is like just a never-ending thing right and you're you're stuck in this horror situation where you have to navigate through a very very low visibility like terrain and whatnot um yeah in well, a situation I think would be pretty interesting. Yeah, why not? These games are so hard though. A good example to take inspiration from really would be like, say, Uncharted Three when you're stranded in the desert, or Metal Solid Five because they handle like, you know, the sand environments pretty well. So yeah, mm-hmm. that that should be nice in a survival horror game. But yeah, also, I mean, I'm gonna point out too, like, let's hope that Resident Evil Eight has like a snowstorm um type um thing coming in. Oh, dude, that'd be really fucking dope if Village had that. I, I can definitely see it happening. Like, it, 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 I think it makes sense. The problem is, is that I think a lot of the time, these kind of, uh, these these sort of concepts, they do get used in games, but it's only generally for, like, kind of as gimmicks for a certain area or a certain period. Yeah, that's what I was uh, thinking, then, too. You know, uh, I mean, I, I know an example, let's say, Left 4 Dead, for example, with hard rain, you know, they've got a campaign based around the fact that the rain gets worse and worse as you go, and it starts infringing later on, but um like you can do it for short sections but to like try and span that over the course of maybe hours i think you start kind of uh risking to kind of tire out the player and to kind of um it loses its charm you know from what is kind of a cool game mechanic if you only play it for maybe 30 minutes or an hour what if you start extending it to sort of four five six seven eight hours that can become a bit of a drag and you start kind of losing the focus of why it's there to begin with it's just there for being there rather than kind of serving the purpose that's been put in for the first place 
I think, well, like, with that regard, like, I think it just varies because, like, if you can, if you can have a, um, interesting setup for it, right, and a logical reason as to why it's happening, right, a strong reason to, uh, it could work well. I'm not saying that, like, every single game should, you know, obviously have weather effects. Some games are just perfectly fine without them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a nice change of pace, uh, to do weather effects that we don't often see in survival horror games would be pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. It has a place and it's, it's an underutilized mechanic, but, uh, it's, it's, it's open to being overexposed very easily is the danger. Um, and once it's overexposed, that's it. It's just kind of gone and people start hitting on it very, very quickly. So it's got to be used. Well, it's got to be used. Just as a counterpoint to that, though, it's like you can really look at anything like that. Like, take a look at open world, right? At least so. I I agree. Yeah. Like, like take a look at like open world or even like how we talked about first person horror games, right? Like both of those things, like essentially went overboard with that stuff and now with like almost every game is either open world or a lot of horror games are starting to go for more of that first person route rather than trying to experiment with new types of ideas so yeah you can really make an argument for anything at at least in my opinion but i I agree but i I think something like this is is open to that level of overexposure i think more than some of them but i agree obviously everything has its limits of course Mm. So are we ready to move on to the next one? Yeah. Uh, sure. Who wants to read off a question? Somebody else I read, read before. What are you, Black Shadow? Um, want to read off a question? You had to do it the moment I've accidentally closed down my list, and I don't know where I've put it. Hold on. <laughs> Someone else, <laughs> please. <laughs> I'll do the next one. Okay. Uh, Lily, you want to read off a question? Oh, I know. I was just looking at the list, trying to pick one. Does anyone have one in mind? Uh, I I suppose I'll throw up the one that I mentioned, uh, which is the use of backtracking uh, in Mm -hmm. games. uh, Obviously, you know, I think it's it's something that's... uh, I mentioned this earlier. I think it's, again, it's another one of those things that have kind of been used a lot in older games because you only had limited environments. But I think it's interesting nowadays how games, I think, try try to approach it, which is why I mentioned it. I have a love-hate relationship for backtracking in video games, uh, especially horror ones. Now, I don't mind when they try to do things like populate the area with new enemies or they might have like a door or a gate that you couldn't access with the previous character. We saw a lot of this in Resident Evil Co. Veronica X where there's areas where Chris obviously could not get to originally or Claire and is vice versa. So I do appreciate the element of putting in new enemies and trying to make things fresh, but you are going through like the same environments, just something might be broken. A mainline pipe might be destroyed and there's another side that you spawned on as opposed to the previous character. Uh, so it kind of, creates this thing where there's not a lot of visual variety and uh, that's kind of a little bit disappointing in my opinion at the same time i do like it when they try to either change the environment so much to the point where is completely unrecognizable like i saw this with like psychological horror games where it's a lot of stuff with the mind screwing with you even if you're going through a previous haunt I, I will give Code Veronica, I'll give Code Veronica a degree of defense that there is at least some, 
I mean, there's more variants of Code Veronica than there's, there's given, uh, both with military yeah, base because the place has been blown up to some degree. So there's several areas that you obviously can't access. There's also quite a few have changed. The Antarctica, you know, like, again, it's the whole... It's the idea of giving the player the feeling that the actions they're taking at the time has consequences. More often than not, you don't see them. You know, and you go to the Antarctica, for example, where you, you bust your way out of the uh, out of the base, which ends up freezing and flooding half of it. And then when you come with later on as, as Chris, you suddenly freeze, good grief, I made an absolute mess in here sort of thing. That's true, um, but there is some rooms in that same base that is completely 100% similar. And they yeah, don't do I much like to change it. it. Like so it, it, it's certain, like, cases. This is a case-by-case -case basis, in my opinion. Yeah, I, well, I, I think the thing is, if you're gonna if you're gonna reuse an area and change it like almost entirely, you might as well just make a new area. The whole idea of it being an area you've been in is that you have at least some familiarity with going on, even if it's not quite what you expect. Well, um, actually, you get my two cents on this real quick. Mm -hmm. um, Capcom is probably arguably the best, and also depending on the situation, the worst when it comes to Bad Dragon. So like with Resident Evil, um, especially the first few games, like once you go back to um, return return to a um, old area um you're gonna run into like new enemies and plus you probably get some new items on the way as well yep. so like it's not going to be the exact same experience you are going to have a new shift and change but also depending on the game though like the environment could actually look completely different as well once you return to the area case in point um uh, let's look at the democratic games uh the first three games in particular uh once you return to an area though something could drastically change especially in like in case of three when um story context when the tower shifts around you could r literally run to both new and old areas or interconnect with um old areas that are should not be together because of how the story changed um the settings yeah. so um also um on onimusha once you backtrack to a certain area though you're going to be running to like stronger enemies up to that point once you get to the story context of this um setting Dead Space is another example as well for that sort of time era. Yep, yeah, exactly. Dead Space but here's... does that really well with the mansion where you go back to certain parts. But here's the problem: like, are those new elements good? Because I swear to yeah, God, I'm about to get to that. <laughs> each, each and every single time for Cole Veronica running into those stupid poisonous hunters in the middle of the military base, it is not fun in my opinion compared to the beginning of the game. Yeah, I was actually about to get to that too. Like the worst examples, or at least the somewhat worst examples, would be honestly would be Democrat Four and also Cold Veronica, and maybe Resident Evil Four, depending on you look at it. But um, in case of Cold Veronica, they have um, responding enemies, and unfortunately, two enemy types are poison. So you better be good at bobbing and weaving. Like those damn butterflies or moths, whatever the fuck they are, and the uh, sweepers, I think, right? I, I think that's more choice of enemy, really, than like yeah, they, they I, probably shouldn't have put those enemies in there, in, especially in some of the numbers they. I think that's more yeah, that's the problem than the design. Yeah, but what thing so like one, you're gonna be going back and forth in certain areas naturally. So if you kill those guys and then come back and they're back again because they respawn, that could be kind of tiresome. Yeah, it's it's not it's not ideal. Again, it's the whole idea of you know if you're taking actions in an area and you're revisiting it later on, you want to feel like the actions you've taken have had an impact with the game, um, and that's very very difficult to to achieve pretty well. I think there's not many examples I think that show that you've done that very well because it's usually just okay, you're here again. Uh, now you have a new set of enemies and it just spawns them all in. It doesn't not true. I think um, the remakes um, one and two do it pretty well because once you return to area though um like liquors for example in re2 will show up in rpd more, more frequently if you didn't kill them up beforehand 
but you can run into three in one room if um you not if you're reckless Hmm. Yeah, I think that some games do the environment of that really well. Like I was saying, Fatal Frame really like starts to get through that where it explains that, you know, parts of the mansion are going back to like the way that they were like long ago and just things that change that, oh, like now a hallway isn't like totally crashed in and you can get through and you go through an area that is familiar into a new area and you're always crossing through like the front part and as you like go through the game the enemies just increasingly get you know more difficult where you're running into certain things in different places that you've been or like overlapping into like places you've been getting to new places where you just have that like nice enemy progression throughout the game even though it's uh, an area you may have been through already mm. No, is it sounding like a four kind of the same way as well? Um, yeah, because yeah, I think there's ghosts that only spawn during the second half of the game. Yes, yeah, you have to revisit the some of the areas you've gone specifically because you're trying to yeah interact. Yeah, it does revisit it there to some degree. Although I personally don't think it was the best um example of kind of the revisiting it to me felt a little bit kind of forced although it made sense to the story context like to me it felt a little bit forced upon the player and it was a lot of work to do as well but that's just me but even in for a lot of the time when you went to you you did go back to a level but a lot of the time you would enter new areas in that level Mm -hmm. and that would be again where you would be crossing into like maybe some of the initial rooms that you had started in the first time, but you'd be able to, like, get up some stairs or get around to somewhere where you weren't able to get into before that expands the level, which is sort of interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not terrible by any means, but I feel like, I don't know, it felt like it could have done a little bit more of it at times. I felt, it, felt, it felt to me like it was kind of... It was kind of safe. It it didn't really. It was kind of there, and it performed a function, and it made sense. But I feel that like they could have done a little bit more of it. But that's, you know, it, it comes yeah, out of personal. Yeah, I, I think that it's yeah, game to game sort of thing too, of just how they incorporate it in with the story because they they kind of needed to go back to different areas for Silent Hill Four specifically, just because of, you know, the the ghosts are tied to certain places. Yeah, so with that just- one. That one makes sense for why they had to, but uh, in other games, definitely it is like a resource play where they just didn't have the time to make the new environment, so they'd have you go back for whatever reason. But uh, in some games, that has like a really nice feel, where like in Pathologic, you're in the same exact town, and none of the environment changes the entire game, but you just sort of like get to know the town and where like people are and it's the information that changes throughout the game and just sort of like who you thought was a really like, you know, great person who was like helpful. And then, you know, you learn something about them as you like go through the story. That's like, okay, they might actually be a little bit twisted and I don't know how I feel about anything anymore. That sort Mm -hmm. of like adds to the horror of like what choices people go through also throughout different games. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, anyone else? Going once, going twice. So, to the ghosts and the red dress. Um, 
Lily, um, you, what question you want to read off now? Um, okay. I'm looking at ones we've already... I just, um, zoomed out the... <laughs> Pick a number, any number, between one and, like, six. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm gonna go with multiple endings. So... Okay. That one to start it off, I guess, um, I've always really liked multiple endings and just when they have either like any choices that are actually like meaningful in the story where some games, they add choices and we talk about this a lot on my streams of just how you have that choice where it looks like a choice, but then no matter which of two to four choices you pick, you end up getting the exact same text line at the end where it's like, you know, it's almost like a fake out, or it's like, is that meant to mess with me in some way? Or did they just not have time to have it pull through? And then you'll realize in some of those choices that every once in a while, one of the four does change something, and it'll, you know, come back to, like, which ending you're going to get, which some games, the endings, like, you know, you have pieces of them that you you do feel like we're fitting, but then sometimes you don't, and that sort of encourages you to go through and play again to get a different ending. And I don't know how anyone else feels about that, so. I mean, it has replay value, and plus, um, depending on the circumstances, though, it gives you a reason to find the canonical ending. Yeah, but, it's, um... it's, it's pretty strong on a functional basis of what it actually manages to achieve. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and again, furthering sort of replayability, you know, it, as I've mentioned before, it kind of gives, again, more of this sort of impression of your actions having, you know, results rather than just kind of following along the script, uh, of which there are many, many, many cases of video games where you have the illusion of choice, but at the end, the same thing happens pretty much almost regardless of what you try to do. Um, and this is a battle that a lot of games have had to, to deal with. Um, so yeah, functionally yeah. it makes it it's very effective, but it is, um, you know, and again, it's like, it, it also can create you know, a bit of curiosity of thinking, well, what if, which is one of those big things in games that you try to achieve is the what if thing, you know, and it gives some scope for people to kind of play around with things, think, well, you know, maybe I could do this instead, that sort of thing. Um, you know, again, this is a very sort of thing that I think is, was very heavily used in the past because of limitations of media and what you could do um you know reusing content again and again and again whereas obviously nowadays people have a lot more flexibility in what you want to do with it and you know and it's used to very great effect in a lot of different mediums um but like yeah i, I think it's uh it's very good it's it's worked well for survival horrors and there's no reason it shouldn't it gives you the impression of kind of uh cause and effect i think the way I, I mean multiple endings are definitely okay and i love the fact that of having to find different ways to like get more of them but i think the game needs to do like a good way of doing it for example i don't know maybe this is just me uh i don't know if someone else has played the blair witch game uh, which is kind of like an outlast game the way that the game um makes the ending um there are like uh small factors at like at the last part of the game that affect which version of the two different endings you will get. Like, there are four endings um, divided, like, in two and two. But during the whole game, there are a lot of special factors that you need to do to get 
one of those endings. One is a bad ending, the other is a good ending. I completed the whole game and everything, and I did everything as the game asked me to do it. And when I get to the end, well, it turns out that the way, well, not the game, well, yeah, the game asked me to do it. That that way was actually the wrong way of doing it, and I got the bad ending. Turns out that I needed to do the opposite of what the game was telling me. And I think that on the context of the game, that you get to know this context like at the very end of the game, that's good. But for someone that is playing the game for the first time, you're like, wait, I got the bad ending? Why? Because you did uh, everything wrong. Why? You told me to do that stuff. So I think that if they will have explained that a lot better, no problem. But I think the way that they explain it or the way that they manage all that made the the way to get the endings a lot different than I thought. A lot, I don't know, useless, if I could say. Silent Hill is a lot weirder with this premise because you have to do a lot to get some of the good endings from silent hill one uh you have to get the red liquid you have to go and get the container in order to pick it up you have to save sybil then you have to do the side mission for kaufman not a lot of people are going to know that on their first playthrough when they go through that game uh so i i do think that it is good for replay value it's really great actually on the context of like first playthroughs you're going to fuck something up definitely when you get to the end of the game if it's a fetch quest or if things are not too descriptive um luckily we live in the age of the internet so there's guys if there is multiple endings or you can period trophies so it's not that much of a big deal but back then you definitely probably needed a strategy guide or something else to get you through because there is a lot to take in for that yeah, definitely. So I think, like, um, we're talking about, like, multiple endings and, like, the subtlety of choice. Um, some of the thing that I like, some of the things that I like about both the original remake, the original, the remake, and um, of Resident Evil 1 and then Resident Evil 3, the original, is that they they all had this thing of, like, every little thing that you would do kind of amounted to some kind of um outcome whether it be uh, taking care of a puzzle in a uh, in a certain order compared to like going through a certain room in a particular way um or saving a particular character over another or completely just deciding to say fuck it and you're just going to save yourself um i think i think there needs to be more of like a there needs to be more of like a, a subtle way to kind of approach how you're going to get an ending based on the choices you subconsciously make, whether it be going through um, rooms in a particular order or, or taking care of a puzzle uh, before you're supposed to actually do it, you know, uh, that type of thing. Because um, I, I actually really like the way that, like, say, like RE1 handled it, where, you know, how you... Uh, go through that game will ultimately uh, change how you're going to see certain uh, cutscenes or interact in in uh, the overall ending, right? Same thing with like RE3, except for at least in that game's case, it's a little bit more in your face with the live selection mechanics as well. So. It's a thing as well. It's like you think of 
the way it's done, it seems that also very, very archaic systems uh, compared to some of the very sophisticated stuff you get nowadays. Yeah, it feels it's just as effective. Even now, you know, people that play these games have never played them before, experienced these, you know, and to them it's still fulfilling. Yeah, it's such an old school way of doing it. And it's so A or B. Um, you know, you've got games now that are designed purely upon, you know, the choices you make and trying to make gray and muddy the water sort of thing. So I think it's a it's a testament to its power. I think well subtlety and then also just the fact that like um you know a, a lot of people will try to like especially nowadays like because we we had the previous podcast talking about how people don't really try to give uh some of these older games a chance now because of uh them being being more accustomed to more modern titles mm. but i think like um when taking like that kind of uh that kind of design approach it's it's it kind of leads into this thing of like sometimes and sometimes something that might seem or feel outdated could be reworked to feel uh very well in a more modern uh aspect it just needs to be done right by the right people type of deal if that makes sense yeah i was gonna say i think that leading in from like the subtlety of like choices was definitely um for like re1 just whether or not you let a character die or not was something that was like pulled over from Sweet Home. But with Sweet Home, you just, uh, like as part of the course of the game, if one of your characters died, it was just, you know, whether or not you decided to continue to play the game without them. That was like, you know, one subtle like difference for how your ending was going to change and how like you would play the rest of the game without them. But uh, yeah, yeah it's like definitely... five different endings for that game too, based on like which characters survive and which ones don't. Yeah, you there are a few different ways that you can achieve different endings, and there's definitely a a great like fake out sort of like ending where um you know you kind of like have everything get turned over on you, and if you do save all the characters and you like do everything the way that you're like supposed to based on the notes mm. i keep forgetting about like until dawn also as a horror game hey until yeah. dawn is actually a perfect example of that because you know mm-hmm. every choice you pick has one heck of a consequence literally going going mm. one direction could get a whole character killed or change the ending completely shoot emily That's like going through their new series yeah. shoot well, like, emily I'm... now <laughs> No, no, like, no. She, I need her to slap somebody. But go ahead. <laughs> like with Until Dawn, though, it's because um, we kind of brought this up earlier. It's one of those games where they're they're a little bit more in your face about the choices you have to make. So yeah, where the and that's the thing with like, that's the thing with like more modern games, right? It's where they're if if they do have like some form of choice, they're more in your face about it. Whereas like a lot of these older like PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, maybe even games that sometimes predate those um those era of uh console gaming right uh they were a lot more subtle about it and they really they really try to make the player think about like how they're going to um complete an objective or complete a game yeah that's what i was saying i appreciate the subtlety that certain choices or things that you don't even realize that it was a choice at the time for like if you have an option of picking up two different items and you pick up one 
and you don't know that because you picked up that item, you can't pick up the other one, and you wouldn't have known that. But it's just like one of those subtle ways that a game can kind of cow you into a choice without, you know, having a giant like red text box pop up for do you want to, you know, jump off this bridge or try and like, you know, run through the monster like where sometimes those choices like having them presented in that way take away from the atmosphere a little bit. And sometimes it's also like a really like nice break where it's like, oh my goodness, like if I do one of these, like how is that going to affect the game going forward? Like if I do push him off the bridge or if I jump down, what's going to happen from that point? Is it going to be a split? Are they going to like, you know, like, and of course, like, RE3 did that really well. Yeah. It was like a mix of having those choices in your face, but also having the uh, the subtle choices. Mm-hmm. Well. And that choice, yeah, that choice right there actually gets Nikolai killed in one of them. I forget which one it was, but I know Nemesis kills him if you do something different at that point. Yeah. It, it's it's one of those things, too, where, like, because um, we're, we're talking about Nemesis, right? Yeah. Like, if you go through, like, say, the, um, the, um, the news building, right? The press press building. Uh, how you meet um, Carlos can change too. Like you can meet mm-hmm. him there as opposed to the restaurant. So like a lot of those things where it's like you're you can subconsciously make a choice, um, and it'll lead to like different outcomes in in that story. And I think that is something that I would like to see in more modern titles, which we don't really get to see all that often. Uh, shame that remake three doesn't have it, but not part of this conversation. Um, I guess we don't hear. Uh, yep. Yeah, I could read off the next one. Yeah, be my guess. Okay, so I want to do number four: uh, limited ammo and resources. This is a trope that's extremely normalized in survival horror. Uh, you may be faced with situations where bullets or health items remain at bare minimum. Um, I don't, I don't particularly have a problem with this. I think that, um, this is like one way that survival horror stands out from other types of games in terms of how they challenge the players. Cause you know, you could have like, um, you could have like an action game where an action game, they might challenge you based on the amount of enemies you have to deal with or, um, the circumstances as to how you, you're going to tackle a situation. Uh, based on the scenario you're going through, right? Um, you can have hack and slash game where the whole idea is to try to not to get hit, and that's part of the challenge, right? Whereas a survival horror game, you're constantly thinking about your resource management. You're constantly thinking about the amount of health items you have, the um, the situations that are going to you know potentially get you poisoned or cause you to start bleeding or whatever kind of ailment that can occur within a survival horror game right so i think um i think in that with that in mind like i don't necessarily have a problem with it and i think that needs to be like a standard at this point or it it is it should be a standard uh granted we ha- we do have action horror games which kind of deviate from that standard but we'll get to that at a later point so 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think that uh, having limited resources is a survival horror staple. Just anytime when you're running through one and you actually have run out of any like item that is necessary to get through to a next bit, that's definitely just I, whether you don't have like a key or it's that you don't have bullets because you either you know were rearranging your inventory and forgot to put them back in or you just straight up ran out but any like moment where you just you don't have what you need is definitely like an extra layer in one of those games oh one thing i will add to this so long as the um the limited resources are not goofy or clunky like case in point evil within you see a big ass box of um, shotgun shells that holds at least like what eight to twelve shells, right? And you only get two out of the box. Like, no, that's, Resident Evil definitely did that system better, where you get at least not depending on the um, game mode, of course, but you get like twelve bullets or ten, you know, out of the case itself, just two. You usually get like, like say a ten gun ammo, you usually get one magazine worth of mm-hmm. that amount, right? Or like shotgun shells, like if your shotgun holds up to like six rounds you get about six rounds right yeah that kind of deal i mean for like original like you would get 30 and then for like the shotgun every time you got a case you would get 12 so it was a bit much for some of like the early ones where you you never ran out of ammo really unless you you only took so much with you but usually you could stack it so it was never that much of an issue silent hill is the same way where you pretty much always have 300 bullets on you, and it it just kind of uh, gets to be a bit too much in games like that. Where, uh, well, at least in Silent Hill's case, they kind of have more of an emphasis on melee combat. Well, Silent Hill yeah. has that thing where they do magic pockets where you can keep as much ammo and stuff as you want. Um, obviously if you play on hard mode, that sort of differs and it takes it down a bit at the same time, there can be inventories where the system works against you. I think uh case in point was silent hill four. And now I know, uh, some people might like this inventory system, but I personally do not because I feel like with the way they set it up, it encourages you a lot to go back to the room constantly over and over to dump items because you have like limited inventory space uh i i think a good balance is really important uh for designing these games and making it where there's not way too many bullets because it goes into the whole action horror question which could be done for better or worse oh yeah that for for silent hill 4 specifically they did that to mess with you they didn't want you to be running around holding all the items or to even pick up every item in the game like the golf clubs are straight up in the game to mess with you if you pick one up because they break and then they're like stuck with you for a while so it's definitely or the doll which totally is in the game a hundred percent to mess with you they almost want you to not pick up items in that game and to ignore them like almost exclusively aside from like key items that's true but it also increases the backtracking just a little bit which is why I but say you don't pick up the items is what I'm saying. There yeah. are a lot of items that I would just straight up ignore, especially like in a subsequent playthrough. It's like there's some I, I don't want that at all. <laughs> there's some that's like you, you really need like I'm talking about like the ghost killing weapons and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you do have to keep going back and forth because you're going to want to need like those items right there because they will start to hound you like 
much later in the game. Uh, so I, I would prefer if yes, limited inventory stays and limited ammo resources. It makes these games very distinct. At the same time, I do feel like it needs to be just balanced out because there's going to be some stuff you don't want. It's going to be some mechanics in there where they won't let you like discard things easily. I never liked that at all, where it's like I got to keep some junk or I get junk all the time. It's stuff like that that kind of drives me up a wall. The drop items is definitely like really useful for certain games. Some games it definitely uh, can hinder you for a game like Pathologic every once in a while if your inventory is full of key items um, someone will give you an item and it won't make the noise that uh, the item or you won't even hear it so you won't realize that a key item just got dropped on the floor and you'll leave the the only thing I don't like about item drops is when it's in stuff like RE0 I feel like that was not handled the best oh my god Zero's the worst offender but yeah they took that See, specifically from sweet home because they always try to like do as many throwback backs to that game as you could as they could and sweet home was one that you could do that you could uh go to any point where there was an item and you could change it out of your inventory because in sweet home your inventory per character was limited to two items so you had to be really choosy with what you were taking in that and dropping things was just a major mechanic in the game that they the, really wanted to use i, I appreciate the biggest the, issue i'm oh, sorry um but the biggest issue with zero's case is that um it worked fine in a train because it's very linear and narrow so you um can pick up find the locations of stuff that you had before right now and um and we get to the um umbrella um section the area is so big that once you drop something though you better hope you don't need it later because you're gonna be bad tracking a lot just to get that one item and god forbid you run into a leech man not oh. to mention you need the hook shot which is like for some reason most essential item that you cannot find anywhere else again if you don't pick up the one somewhere else you know so like I mean... zero is like the worst case about it it is, but I think like the players when you play, I think you have to sort of realize that that it that it's going to be a mechanic, and the game does provide several kind of safe hub areas for you to manage your equipment as you go. Um, and ultimately, there's no area that ever gets blocked off at least, so it's not like you could drop something and then couldn't physically never get it back. So um, I, I give I'll give Zero a bit of defense specifically because once you kind of realize that you're gonna have to manage your inventory in this way, I guess it comes with that I've played Outbreak tons, so in Outbreak that's also a thing you have to do a little bit. You have to make decisions about what you do and don't want to take. Although the fact that we've, we've at least with Zero, the fact that there's items that you are going to need later on, but you don't know where on the first time. The hook shot is obviously an infamous example of like if you put it down in a bad place, then that's horrendous because you have to go back and get it and you could have left it pretty bad but once you realize to leave stuff in a hub area it's it's not as aggravating but i guess for people who didn't do that then obviously i it's gonna be different experiences. i feel like it's just much of a danger because the health is not balanced out well between both characters despite what you're carrying like i i, exactly. I feel like um because rebecca has low health you're gonna want her like in the background and not in the foreground because if she gets hit too many times she's dead on contrast to that billy cannot mix healing items for, for some yeah. reason so like if you um he leave Rebecca behind, he's never seen the herbs i think that actually makes some degree of sense that's kind of funny <laughs> that's so funny I mean, just, no, have you seen the herbs man just crush them up and roll them up that's it 
Ain't that hard? I actually don't think that works in context to the overall series because we have dudes that go all the to like other countries and find. Yes, no, uh, once you went beyond like Ari from beyond, yes, it makes complete <laughs> like, no sense. But at it, the it time made... when Zero was existed and it came out, it was defendable. I'll give it. I, I, no, I don't think so. I, like, I, I don't agree with that either. Because stuff, like stuff you like also that. play as a fucking civilian in RE2. Clara, right? Which, yeah, you could argue. Well, she she was kind of trained by by Chris, but she she doesn't have the level of training that he has, where he went through, you know, the Air Force and years. So it's like he has years worth of training by the time she even gets some of the training that she got from him. I suppose Claire so is like, is a reasonable thing to mention. Yeah, no, I can I can still yeah, see a bit of that. Stuff like that again is something that Resident Evil took from Sweet Home where each of the five characters they have the lighter. One was the like a lock you know. Yeah, I, I appreciate the homages, but it just some of it doesn't translate into good gameplay in my opinion. Yeah, but it, it worked really well for Sweet Home, and I think that was one thing that they tried to emulate because of that, because they had a character who could cure anything, and uh, that was probably, like, one of the worst, like, parts of that game was any time that you ever needed that character, but it definitely um, led to, like, some pretty diverse, like, gameplay, especially like when you would lose a character and you would have to use items, use and find and, you know, keep them around with the like mechanics of your inventory anytime that you lost one to uh, be able to get through the game. It was definitely really interesting and it worked well in Sweet Home, but of course, like when you carry it over to other games, you have to try and figure out exactly how it's going to work throughout it's like how we were talking about how certain gimmicks like they just get tiresome after a while and it's something that uh they may not have wanted to require throughout the whole game yeah it, it definitely could have been some more forethought when really thinking about it also i hate you guys posting the wee images in chat wee <laughs> uh, I, I know it's a bit uh divergent but i kind of want to ask how do you guys feel about like a bleeding mechanic in uh survival horror games because not i personally do not like it um revelations 2 is actually probably the most richest example of it where um even if you heal you need benches to get rid of the bleeding effect because um if you don't get rid of bleeding though your health will still drain over time it's kind of like poison i don't think it would kill you but it still is an inconvenience mechanic where because um the screen will have like these bloodshot effects going everywhere and i cannot see shit so like and that actually got me killed more than once on multiple occasions during the campaign the only reason why i ask is because like the only th three examples that i could think of off the top of my head revelations 2 which i do agree at least with the whole blood splatter that like on the screen that's kind of annoying um but two other games that had it were uh, Operation Raccoon City and uh, the first Dino Crisis. Uh, and I actually really like it in the first Dino Crisis because mm. I felt like it made sense in the context of that game. Yeah, Dino Crisis so, did it fine enough. Like It, it didn't like freaking obtrude my um my vision or whatever. So I could live with that. Cause plus, it's, a, it's more comfy to um, find items that can heal the bandages. Also, like, Dino Crisis did it right, at least. I get that much. I'll, uh, I would even give it 
a little bit of credit in ORC because it, at least in the context of that game, um, it kind of makes sense because it's more so if you uh, sustain damage in the abdomen over a certain amount of time. Um, and certain guns would be able to cause that kind of damage uh, faster than others. And what that would do is it would attract more uh, enemies towards said player or or enemy and could cause it on a player or an enemy to get infected, which I, I thought was a pretty interesting way to handle it. Oh, also, another game that did bleed into works was um, Atlas 2. Another reason why I don't like that game, because um, it slows down your movement speed. Um, so I don't think you can sprint and you gradually, um, it will kill you, I believe. So yeah, nah. Bleeding mechanics, personally, I'm not a big fan of them. I'd rather not have it than have it, though. But if it could be done right, more power to them. I guess, like, like kind of my mindset of it is, like, because um, a lot of people don't really see the point in, like, having a poison mechanic in, like, RE games, right? Um, so I think, like, a bleeding mechanic to replace it would potentially make a little bit more sense. Um, because you're probably going to take more damage as opposed to getting poisoned. It's just, it's really hard to get poisoned in an RE game, right? But taking Unless you call Veronica. Of course, right? <laughs> you're right, right. <laughs> but like, but most of the time with like most RE games, right, it's easy to take damage as opposed to getting poisoned. Mm. So, mm. at least in, in my mind, it would make sense to have some sort of bleeding mechanic, at least if it could be implemented right. And then just, you know, at least replace those blue herbs with like the hemostat advantages that they had in like the uh the dino crisis series or even like uh, i almost forgot that outbreak actually had a bleeding mechanic as well yeah 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 it does it's got a it has a bleeding mechanic it's it's you know you you can generally you've just got to sort of stand in place well but the thing is at least it's not permanent you know it's it's an inconvenience it does affect some enemies will go for like the The leech man specifically uh will will target you if you're bleeding stuff like that which again is nicer as a gimmick Oh, yeah, that does make sense considering they like blood. So like, yeah, exactly. So it, it goes in context of what's going on, you know, which is which is nice. Now, if anything, though, remake three probably could have benefited from a bleeding um, mechanic then, because um, since they don't have blue herbs in the game, you cannot take advantage of the defense boost you get from combining all three or just the red and blue, like in remake two. So there's that. Ah, uh, so anything else about it? Nope. Going once, going twice. All right, and so, I um, who was real to the next question? I can go since I haven't gone yet. Oh, Eli, you resist. Yeah, I have uh, technical issues on my end. Um, I will pick action horror. All right, action ahead. horror is a subgenre that usually involves increased ammunition, melee, and a higher frequency of enemies. For example, Resident Evil Four and Dino Crisis Two can be considered as an action horror. So, Eli, you want to go first, or let someone else take um, your turn? I, I prefer action horror compared to, like, running hide horror games. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mind this genre. Now I know that's going to get some flack because there's those people out there that's like, well, Resident Evil 4 is the worst piece of garbage ever made, and it killed the series, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, not even a horror game. 
yeah it, it's not a horror game but it is a good action game and it's something i enjoy playing so mm -hmm. it's an increased abundance of ammo enemies will drop it um there's a lot of enemies to keep the player on their toes and you know sometimes there will be those creepy elements like even though four is not a horror game you can say the regenerators are definitely creepy or there's elements of them actually trying to build the atmosphere with the prison later on in the labs i yeah, you can have your atmosphere or your creepy enemies though but you know as a whole i just that's not enough for me to justify being called a horror game because I, I can say the same thing about re5 you know well the genre the genre is spawned from is still definitely horror and that's what they're trying to market it as so despite them not actually like referring to it as a straight-up action game it does have those action and horror elements blended in at the same time um yeah. but but i i want to say that it's as a genre it can work because i always see these opinions where uh people try to diminish the quality of these games just because all this stuff is happening i will admit in terms of a slower paced game it's not ideal in my opinion if you ask me anything i would prefer remake 2 but as games i would prefer if they made dino crisis for example going forward as a fast-paced game because I don't think it fits the traditional Resident Evil mold anymore, in my opinion. See, I'm like 50-50 with that. Um, like, just in regards to Dino Crisis specifically. Like, um, so, like, what I think would work is, like, having those survival, like, mechanics and whatnot. Uh, while still having, like, kind of, like, an action or, like, even action stealth sort of uh type of gameplay yeah that that's i don't that i don't mind I don't, actually that's cool because i don't think like it, it, keep in mind i don't i don't think it's bad for dino crisis to go in the action route i understand why people prefer it in that way and a lot of other capcom franchises they started more like uh scaled back because they were originally you know re games or games that were taking a lot of inspiration from Ari. This is how we got, you know, things like Onimusha, the original Dino Crisis, Devil May Cry, right? Um, and then they all kind of went into their own style, right? Onimusha went into its own style. Devil May Cry went into its own style. Dino Crisis kind of experimented with, with its own stuff as well. So in that regard, um, I think, like, I think it part of the issue might be is, like, a lot of people had an issue with Dino the original Dino Crisis being like, well, this is Resident Evil, but with dinosaurs, right? So if they were to t make it more like, say, RE6 or even RE5 or RE4, people would just be like, well, this is Dino Crisis or this is like Resident Evil's 4, 5, 6, but with dinosaurs, right? So to make it a little bit more different, you know, try to have like more stealth action type of... Uh, gameplay and and more uh, survival mechanics where you know you do have to think about the resources that you're utilizing and whatnot um but you can still pick and choose when you want to fight and when you want to run type of deal yeah something like manhunt might be a, a good example of something like that where it's got the stealth you know kind of options in there and uh i guess also just on um how we had talked about having uh, enemies that would follow you throughout a path as well had parts that were in there that had things to do with that but uh 
yeah, that's another series that did things really different from what you typically see as survival horror and had a lot of the elements and then just a, a mashup of a lot of other things as well. Also, yeah. uh, just really quick too, I, I gotta say that uh, since we kind of brought up RE4, uh, I actually really like the games that kind of came after RE4, uh, specifically like Evil Within and Dead Space, um, where they, you know, kind of did their own thing with that sort of formula uh, and just kind of built upon it. Yeah, especially Dead Space, that was more of a horror game. Actually, no, it is a horror game by comparison to um, Resident Evil 4. Uh, what did you guys think of Dead Space 2? Since that's I do. Two is the better game, really honestly. Do you think so? Yeah. Even though it's more action. Yeah, two is a, a dope, a dope ass game. Okay. I mean, I like Resident Evil Four too, but uh, I, I like two yeah, for I more action. But, some... but if I want a good scare, I'll go back to one. Yeah. Uh, one particular reason why I don't like playing as one anymore is really the control scheme because um, two refined it to the point, and then three carry over. So mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for me to go back to one where um, it's like kind of inverted in a way. So I'm like. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I know I could learn it though, but I'm not, I'm not that patient enough for it. Still yeah. love the game though. Don't get me wrong though, but just I, a controls game. I still need to play three. Yeah, three is a fun game. I, I do like it. If you do yeah, it though, I, I recommend playing in co-op because um, okay. you get the better yeah, experience. I'll, out of I'll, it. I'll, hit, I'll hit you up when I get there. Hey, all right. Hey. I think all this has to do uh, a lot with the limited amount on resources too, like because if you have too much of that, it then becomes uh, a shooter, you know. So, um, naturally, though, it is going to be a shooter anyway, considering how it was formed. Because even the, let's say, the older Resident Evil games still could become a shooter once you just pack up a lot of ammo, which you could do naturally yeah. anyway once you know what you're doing. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's where, like, some, some games that branch out into just having a lot of different mechanics. Like, Pathologic is, you know, mostly, like, a first-person shooter if you're, like, just looking at a lot of the gameplay. But... Then you have a lot of other things that you can do, like looting houses and just depending on like which character you're playing as, extra mechanics that can change things up so it's not just as focused on the combat. I've been wanting to get into Pathologic too, actually. I've heard good things about it. Yeah, I was gonna say I think that the for the original, the first day is really unforgiving. So if you can get past the first day the the game changes a lot after that but mm -hmm. definitely with um the pandemic it's been really crazy like going back and playing through just a lot of the gameplay like as like the town gets sicker and sicker it's it's pretty crazy um we got any more add to this one going once going twice no? Okay. Alright, uh, I'm going to throw a Renegade bone here. I'm going to um, combine two questions. Um, psychological elements in um, survival horror games and jump scares. Do you guys um, think this adds to the genre or takes away or what do you prefer um, over the other? I have a little... I kind of have a little rant about it. Not because I'm scared of them or anything, but I feel that jump scares... Like, well, I think many people also agree with this, but I feel that jump scares are really, like, cheap. Like, they are just a really cheap way to get into, like, a scare out of people uh, playing the game or watching movies and everything. And I feel that when games uh, overuse jump scares, like, 
a lot during the game. It just feels just like meh, you kind of get used to it. Maybe that's the main reason why I don't like games uh, such as the Five Nights at Freddy's games, because they are just jump scares all the time. Like uh, I'm gonna get used to that any anyway. But when let's say for example a Silent Hill game gets one jump scare in one game, but just that one jump scare, you're not gonna expect that because you're playing Silent Hill, you don't get the idea and, uh, that there will be a jump scare at all, that will actually surprise you. So I don't know, I feel that jump scares are something that has become really overused and has become really cheap, but I do think that maybe, maybe if the if developers um, start using them more sparingly, maybe one, two times in, in in specific sections of games, maybe they can actually add to the gameplay a little bit or to the storytelling, maybe. Yeah, it's moderation, isn't it? Uh, That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm going to partially disagree with you a little bit. Now, jump scares, I don't think it's too cheap, though, because um, if you're not going to see it coming, though, that's when it's best effective. But, like, like we said, like with movies, though, movies are actually the worst example of jump scares because um, they use it all the time. In video games, though, like when you're like distracted or you like multitasking, doing something else within the confounds of the game, a jump scare could happen, though, and will completely catch you off guard, though. So it will vary. Whereas a horror movie, though, is a little bit more, I guess, straightforward because, you know, you, your attention is to focus other on the movie rather than multitasking on other things. I was going to bring that up because, um, like, I think. Like, just thinking about, like, the various horror games that are out there, like, if you're just playing, uh, and sometimes it feels like, 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 take Run, for example, right? And I, and I don't mean this as, like, an insult, but just, like, take a look at, like, some of the stuff that he's played, where, like, he'll he'll play, like, a horror game, and while he's doing something, he'll just get caught off guard, because, like, he wasn't expecting an enemy around a corner or something like that. And that wasn't necessarily a, like, program jump scare. It just ha happened just by natural cause and effect, right? So I think, like, jump scares like that work, like, effectively because, again, it's it's not something that the developers were intending and putting in the game. It just kind of happened by by sheer chance. So I think stuff like that works very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that, on that one. Yeah, I, I personally that... don't like uh, um, jump scares at all. But uh, if, if they happen, you know, like, something that's, unintentional like i think that's okay but uh i will very much prefer like uh, some a game that doesn't have jump scares and it's and, and it's horrifying by you know itself and that's something that's also more me memorable because jump scares are something that you know it's something that happens in the moment and um, I, I think there's there's a fair portion of people who want to experience those things and play these sort of games and watch these sort of movies because that's what they want. They kind of want to have that sort of jump scare. It is maybe almost like a bit of a cheap thrill, perhaps. Sometimes. Yeah, but, probably. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think it's 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 fine. I think it's it's to be expected. Um, again, as I said, it's just moderation. You know, you don't if the moment you start overusing it, it loses all power. If you only have maybe one or two in the entire thing of any kind of specifically that's up for it, then it has the impact. But once you start doing it too much, then that's like anything, it, it loses all value and meaning and then it just becomes a drag. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was thinking as well. Just having a limit on how many you have or having some that, as we had said, like that are just 
you know, an own, your own personal jump scare where the tension was building and you just jumped and you're like, oh, that kind of was a fake out. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember and, that's like 50% of what Outlast is, just jump scares. Mm. Yeah, where it gets to be a bit too much after mm -hmm. a while. Yeah, after your first playthrough, throw, like, once you see everything coming, that's it. Like, you can't get um, jumped up anymore. I mean, that's a natural anyway with most things, though, but that's especially in that game's um, case because the first best experience is your first experience, that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, you know, some games are best playing once. Sadly, yeah. Um, like, um, we'll go back to um, Technological. Um, what do you guys um, stand on that? Would it, uh, would it be appropriate to uh, bring up fear? Uh, yeah. In terms of psychological elements, and yeah, a sure, little fine. Alma uh, stalking you through the game. Everything to add to the conversation, be my guess. Um, yeah, sure. We've talked. We've talked about plenty of games that are not exactly strict survival horror. Uh, yeah. Well, Fear, of course, it's a excellent first-person shooter that blends horror elements into the action. I think um, Batman Arkham Asylum has psychological elements uh, with the Scarecrow self, and then Arkham Knight uh, with the, um, again, Scarecrow self, but also the Scarecrow de dedicated stages that you get for the PS4 version of the game. Oh. So, yeah, um, those um, uses um, psychological um, elements with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that... Uh... We haven't really touched on Parasite Eve and Galarian's series as well that have a lot of psychological elements of just things that are going on and happening with, you know, the main character and not really knowing, um, you know, what they're getting into. Yeah. Of just, uh, you know, as the horror unfolds. Uh, and Parasite definitely. also uses body horror, right? As well? A little, a little bit. bit. I guess like, like strange poop amalgam or like yeah whatever. yeah I mean there's, there's elements of it there's definitely things that kind of you know, to kind of freak out the player it's not like uh, excessively huge but uh, there's elements of it around and perhaps with like the the one major character in the first game she goes through a little bit herself but mm. um it's probably more subtle and more personal for whoever's playing it if they're reading her diaries and you know like yeah definitely yeah something like that maybe one day we'll get that remake <laughs> don't remind me please i'm set <laughs> uh, i guess we could just go ahead and move on to the next things uh hey renegade i'll let you be the guest of honors here okay let me see so Trying to see here, what do we uh, got? Can you do six and nine for me then? Because uh, I think you could blend those together quite nicely. Nice. So, nice. En environmental. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh god, six and nine. Okay, so you walked right into that. Let's, one. let's do this. Yeah, I did. The topics are environmental traps and atmospheric sound design. Environmental traps are booby traps in the environment that can kill enemies or kill you, and sound design is like creatures like yelling in the distance or mr x stomping his giant feet what do you think about stuff like this actually the, i was gonna oh uh, just quickly i was gonna mention actually the mr x uh footsteps that uh, even when you're like some um 
just like some rooms apart, you start uh, hearing the footsteps, like I said at the beginning. And I'm like, really like, oh, man, and you just, uh, you start feeling like the adrenaline coming, like, oh, I need to run, I need to run, I need to run. And I think that's a really good thing because not only is it uh, giving you like a head up, telling you that, hey, the guy is coming for you, but it's also a good way to like really make you see like, all right, is he close? Is he far? Do I go out? Do I go the other way? Things like that. I think that's a good way for um, games to work with stuff to really make you make you feel like, all right, I need to listen if the guy is nearby, if he's far away, if it's safe to go out, if I need to make another route for uh, the way that I need to go, stuff like that. I think for environmental sound, it's a really good mechanic that it's really well done. I, I haven't played a game where it's uh, badly badly done, basically. <laughs> okay i'm trying I to know. think uh i i don't i want to go real quick i don't mind environmental traps especially when there's this sort of like cat and mouse game with you and the enemy i think that's also good like evil within is kind of like this as well where you can either use explosives to kill the enemy or if you are not really too bright and you run right into them you will also die as well so i i kind of like that whole... as well and yeah parts. and get parts so that's like sort of a risk reward thing too if you do it right you get stuff for it and i enjoy that um as for psychological horror i would say that i really do love it silent hill was something different i really enjoyed uh what that had to offer you know bending the mind uh bending the environment making things all crazy for the player yeah i think um for sounds Fatal Frame did such a great job with the way that certain ghosts like echo. If you play a Fatal Frame with surround sound and you have like a speaker that's like near a hallway, sometimes you get a certain ghost and it literally echoes down your hallway and it is just like the like craziest thing when you're playing like at night. The setting like can just like blow you away and definitely anytime when they have any of the like little voice clips and you know you have like a, a major character who's you know giving some sort of narrative but then you can also hear in the background some like sort of like whispering or like weird sounds that you're just like yeah that's not right that shouldn't be there what are they saying but uh sounds like in that in that game like made the environment yeah uh, another game that had like um, very good sound design was uh, well, all the games by um, what's Lubertine, I think. The game, the I mean, the studio that made uh, Layers of Fear. Um, those games have, I mean, I don't personally don't like them at all. Those games, but uh, they have very good sound design. Um, another game I can think of, you know, Dead Space. Uh, those games were had like pretty cool design, sound design. Uh, I feel like music, especially music and sound design, are like the perfect um, things that will make or break your game. Because for me, though, like this is me personally. I'm not a person that gets scared really easy while playing horror games, right? But if you have really, really good sound design and a good atmosphere, like that right there, just gets me. I, I like tension more so than anything else that can that get me immersed into the game. And also the music. 
Now the music can vary in genres because let's look at Parasite Eve, you know, that's an action, that's an RPG survival horror game, right? But the music in that game kind of engrosses you into the um, environment and the characters and whatnot, right? And also in contrast to like Resident Evil, where it's like, it could vary as well though, but it could be like very, you know, like subtle music that is like I say Resident Evil 4, or it could be bombastic, you know, and like in other games. So um, that's what sounds on it. Sound design and music makes or breaks your um game. PT had a really good sound design too. Exactly. Like, just the sounds of like the ambient noises in that house. It's quite <sighs> nice. Mm-hmm. Shame we never got it. Konami. St- still sends chills up my spine, my guy. It's not really Konami's fault. It was their license to give and not you shouldn't start a project on someone else's idea they should have done their own project entirely and it would have been a major success just like the Emerald El Toro make his damn game <laughs> right uh, um hey Ryan did you muck out your stuff what number 7 now uh, uh, 7 and 14 if you can combine those two Seven fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh. Okay. So number seven. St- um. Storytelling conveyed through notes. Um. Yeah. It's a very common trope with um survival horror games, but especially again, or as an evil stuff, or like even Dead Space among the few. And another thing is um amnesia story tropes, which I'm not sure uh, how common that is because I don't remember a lot of them from the top of my head. So you guys will educate yeah, me on that. One where they start you off um there are also um some that are like a bit more subtle or you just like learn a lot more about the player like as you go but uh anytime that they have that it typically works pretty well to like ease you into the game and what's going on and just um adds like a layer to the horror as you like realize that certain things are like potentially a bit off with stuff that you start to remember or um that uh you know you aren't really sure like how you feel about uh certain losses or something like that because you're not sure if you're even really like related to what's going on as like memories start to twist but yeah storytelling note like through notes is definitely like something that I've always felt is like a survival horror staple. Like the way that they can like you know really like subtly like just like add things. Like Silent Hill Two has uh, a good like area of like notes that you can like slowly find and just like leads up to like a little bit of like the story and it's just like those subtle like extra bits that you get in a game that really like tie it out and you can totally miss it too so it's just you know if you want that extra stuff you can find it and it's not like you know a forced like cutscene or something like that where it's like obviously if they put the time in to make the cutscene they're gonna force you to watch it but if it's notes like that's something that can go to the wayside and they don't care as much if you see it it's just extra for people who want to go through and find it so I actually have a point to make about this. Um, 
So a lot of people really disliked the first Evil Within story, uh, feeling that it was very con. And I personally didn't feel that way, just because I I went out of my way to like read all the notes and pay attention to the very like various uh, environmental details and whatnot. Uh, so to me, it felt like as though it made sense, but a lot of people didn't feel that way. So I think um, I think when it comes to like telling a story through notes, while the, that can be done in a very effective way, it it can also lead to an issue where people feel as though they weren't able to follow the story very well or had issues following the story because, let's face it, not everybody really wants to read or will go out of the Yeah, that's why I always feel like notes are like better issue. as an enhancement instead of like the way that the like main story should be conveyed. Yeah, I feel there's like uh, two types of players. Um, we released a game uh, some time ago, um, which we created uh, solely, mostly be because we wanted to expand the, the sound design skills in, in our team. And uh, we watched uh, some YouTubers uh, playing the game. Um, and half of them just missed all the notes that we put. Uh, the other half, like, uh, were really invested in, in the story and all that. So I think it's uh, hit or, or miss with, with the notes. Oh, uh, I strongly agree with Lily on this one. I think Resident Evil 5 does a pretty good job at that. Well, the notes and whatever files you can find throughout the game more so enhances and um, adds more context to the um, story rather than it being a necessity. Even the tip tools that you see during loading screens um, add to that. Seven as well. It really, <laughs> really needed it. No, seven, uh, I feel like it needed more context because um even if you know the story verbatim though there's still a little bit of plot holes that are left unanswered and i'll definitely need to get answers for those hmm. well at least you got the dlc yeah i think it's a nice uniqueness that it can provide though is that different people read the same thing in different ways you know it'd be a different voice in your head or whatever else that sort of thing. so i think it's kind of nice it kind of like maybe minorly, but it kind of can personalize the journey a little bit. And obviously not everyone's going to find every file every time. Um, whereas obviously if it's like a cutscene, for example, generally like you're going to just come across all of those all the time, apart from maybe a few minor examples. So I think it kind of helps in that respect. And it gives you something to kind of keep an eye out for, to look for. I think they're pretty nice, especially it is more of a, more of a functionary role in the earlier games. But I still think nowadays it has its place, even if it's just as a homage to the past. All right, um, I guess we're done here. We're good. No more questions? I think that's it. Yeah, no, we're, we're good. good. We're good. All right, sweet. Uh, I guess it's time for outros, um, ladies and gents. Um, Baron Zemo, um, give me your outro. Yes, Baron. Oh, sorry. Uh, I heard <laughs> a different. Sorry. <laughs> well, um, I got nothing to say. Just like uh, you can find me at the same places at all. Mm, Twitch uh, slash uh, Bernian. Uh, my Twitter, Instagram are linked in there. Uh, I do things only in Spanish. I think I have closed captions activated, but I don't know if they show translated. But hey, if you want to hop on and say hi, I can say hi to you. I can speak English still, I think, I suppose. See. All right. All right. Bio Double Dumb. Hi. Uh, well, my name is Bio Double Dumb. 
You guys can find me as biodevil underscore dom on YouTube, Twitter, sometimes Twitch. Um, I am working on an RE7 review, but I don't know when I'll have it out. So um, just look forward to it, I guess. But it is in the works. All right. All right. Black Shadow. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Black Shadow 993. Also on Twitch at uh, Black underscore Shadow underscore 993 because someone beat me to the punch, which made me very, very angry. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can find me on both those locations. I mean, literally early today, I just finished a, a base handgun run of Resident Evil 4 Professional with not, not upgrades. So if you like to see someone suffering pain and misery for 15 hours, that's just the place. Nice. Uh, no show Eli. I told you so. Ah, you didn't forget me this time. Okay. Uh, I, good. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gamma Alias. Or Gamma Eli. <sighs> um, Lily Grey Wolf. I told you so, madam. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, great to be a part of the podcast as always. I enjoyed it. Uh, you can find me at Lily underscore, un- underscore Grey Wolf <laughs> if you understood what I even just said. So, yeah. All right, all right, and real creator, man. I'll show you so. Hey, yeah, so thanks for inviting me to this. Um, so you can find my YouTube channel for uh, Apocalyptic Universe, just uh, look for it. That's where I compose uh, mostly my music, and we will be uploading, uploading more uh, sound design stuff soon. Um, that's for the, the game studio, Versifera Studios. Uh, we we were working on a sci-fi project. Uh, we froze that, uh, but we will be releasing something soon. Um, and maybe you will you will hear hear about it. Hopefully. All right, all right, that's good. Um, and last but not least, um, you can find me on Twitter at Immortal Brendel. Uh, you can find me on Twitch. <laughs> 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 you gotta do him like that. He forgot me again. Every <laughs> time. He always does that. I swear to God. All right, Renegade, outro yourself. Well, you can find me on Twitter at renoperative underscore. You can find me on YouTube at Renegade Operative. And I will be trying to edit this podcast because i have some motorbikes outside so i gotta fix that but yeah nice. overall great discussions thought we weren't gonna finish the dock we finished it and good stuff from here all right all right cool yeah once again you can find me as paragon operative at, on twitter at mortal brandle uh sir brandle on twitch and yada 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 your business uh thank you all for watching or listening depending on how you do it um wherever time of day it is and I hope you have um, a safe whatever you, you're going to do right now. Uh, bye. Wear your mask. Take your shots. And stop being fools. TDF Enzo. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>